Blog Talk Radio. Do you watch Fox News all day? Are you dizzy from conservative spin? Are you a birther or teabagger? You might be suffering from a condition called barachnophobia. If so, the only cure is Liberal Dan Radio. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Warning, Liberal Dan Radio is not a substitute for doctor's advice. Severe cases of barachnophobia may require psychiatric help. This may prove expensive if Republicans repeal health care. Listening to Liberal Dan Radio may cause you to embrace things like facts, logic, and reason. If these symptoms last for more than four hours, you have been cured. For more information, go to LiberalDan.com. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talks from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you live from Xavier University at Rising Tide X uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, to call into the show, it's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. Uh, currently, it looks like the chat is having some issues. Uh, so the chat room currently isn't open, but as soon as I'm able to get that open, I'll let you know, and you can come that way too. But you can also connect to the show via Skype on the show's page. Um, if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always listen to uh, or listen to it again by downloading it on iTunes or by downloading it from the Blog Talk Radio site itself. And if you want to leave your questions, comments, and concerns, you can always find the show thread at liberaldan.com. Uh, so because I'm at Rising Tide, if you happen to be attending Rising Tide today, if you feel like coming up, stepping up to the mic and talk, talking about really anything you want, uh, you know, potentially going through, um, uh, going talking about Katrina stories or what have you, but anything else you want to talk about is also fair game. You can step up to the mic and join us and say hi to my friends Kate and Molly, uh, the lovely uh, cross-action couple from Ingress, a game I play. Um, so if you all want to jump in and join the conversation, you're welcome to. Or if you want to walk around and be shy, that's, that's fine, too. <laughs> and I'll see Molly later, I think, at the podcast class that I'm teaching. Uh, that's going to be at 3 o'clock on the second floor of the University Center at, uh, in the Xavier University. And I'm broadcasting from the third floor where many of the other things of Rising Tide are being held. So if you want to show up, if you're listening right now and you're in the New Orleans area and can make it over here. Attendance is free. Uh, there's an Eventbrite link on the Rising Tide NOLA page, and if you uh, come on up and join us up here at the third floor, you can sit down and have a chat with me, or you can, uh, again, um, you know, see all of the presenters that are presenting uh, over the course of the day. Lunch break is at 1. I'm broadcasting until then from 10 to 1, and then after the lunch break and after the keynote address, uh, um, by Mr. McKesson, I will be uh, teaching a podcasting course as well. Just an intro to podcasting. Uh, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I mean, I guess I've been doing this for three years now, so I, I might know a little something about what's going on. So, uh, I guess a, I guess a perfect way to start will just kind of be my own Katrina story. Uh, when I was, you know, by this time ten years ago, I was already in Houston. Uh, I had evacu I had left uh, before the storm the, the day before. I believe, or maybe two days before, um, we had uh, 
suffered uh, through a very long ordeal trying to evacuate the previous year for Hurricane Ivan. Um, it had taken us 13 hours to make it what normally would take an hour on the interstate because the interstate was basically a parking lot for Ivan. And by the time Ivan made the turn that I was pretty much anticipating it to make, it had, uh, you know, we, we had basically gave, given up and said, okay, we're just going to come back uh, that year in 2004. Uh, but with Katrina coming, I was, you know, we decided to, again, leave a little earlier. And the trip that we made was actually uh, a little shorter. I mean, it took us maybe 13 hours to get to Houston, uh, which would normally take six, uh, maybe five, depending how fast you drive. Uh, but it was still, you know, 13 hours to get six hours is much better than 13 hours in, in the time or the distance that it would take to make one hour. So... Um, we got there, we're watching the news footage about the storm, and it did turn a little bit um, at the very end there. Um, you know, one of the reasons when I was watching the storm coming, and they were putting the projections, uh, Ivan and was making a similar path to George's, uh, which is another storm from a year before, and it was coming directly straight at New Orleans to due north. It was, it was heading due north. And there's this Gulf Stream there, and I was thinking for George's, you know, the storm is going to get knocked, knocked over to the side. It's not going to hit us directly. And not everybody was saying that's ridiculous. Uh, and then Nash Roberts, uh, um, a former weatherman who was highly respected in the area, also said the same thing, that it should be knocked to the east a little bit because of the, the jet stream, and that is exactly what happened. I thought that might happen for Ivan too, and it did, uh, because Ivan was also kind of following the, the George's path of coming straight up at uh, New Orleans. But when it came to Katrina, Katrina was, was not heading due north. It was heading kind of north-northwest with that path. And he, so I was thinking, well, if it gets knocked east, then it's still going to hit us right, right in the gut, right in the nose, or what, right, I guess right in the boot, because it's Louisiana. So... We said, okay, well, let's get the heck out of Dodge, and packed up the car, um, headed on out, went to Houston, and saw all of this terrible stuff happening. So I remember the time when I was looking at this one screenshot or one shot that was being shown on the news, and I couldn't quite place it. And then I finally realized it was hard to tell because of all the water that was on the ground. It was my neighborhood. It, it was it was just you know, I mean it wasn't exactly my block, but it was it was the interstate exit where you would get off to go to my house, and that that was that was what they were showing, and I was absolutely uh, dumbfounded as to how it would be that bad, uh, even where I was living. One of the things I remember, you know, when we were when I was looking to get that former house that I was living in, uh, was actually the height because. Uh, the previous place that we were renting would flood on a light, light rain shower. We had to put sandbags out whenever it was a little rain shower uh, because of the bad way that they built the place. So uh, when we bought the house, we were like, oh, this is really a high house. This is, this is really nice. And it actually turned out that in the grand scheme of things that my house was the only house on the, on the block to not flood uh, because we were so high. Um, so I guess that was a good, but, but I mean, I saw the water line, it, it almost made, the water almost made it in. Um, and I also got very lucky, I was, you know, just minor window scratches and cracks uh, from debris that was flying around, uh, but I had a huge tree in my backyard, and that actually happened to um, fall to the side and not directly on top of the house, which again, you know, 
in the grand scheme of things, when it came to Katrina, I was very lucky when it came to that. But it was still an ordeal. It was a very emotional ordeal to have to go through with the evacuation. Um, people not knowing, you know, people who know you not knowing where you are. Um, you know, it was very hard at the, in the first day or two, or especially when we were evacuating. You couldn't make phone calls. Uh, you couldn't use your cell phone, but you know, surprisingly enough, I guess now it's not, maybe not as surprising now, but because um, you know, text data doesn't take up as much uh, information as regular uh, phone data. And, you know, it's very shorter bursts, and so we were able to communicate via, te- via text message a lot during, the, during those first couple of days. And we found a nice little apartment to settle in. We, uh, we, I was with a girl, my girlfriend at the time, uh, and her family, and we had um, got a, you know apartment, several bedrooms. It was a nice place. It was actually found out to be the nerd community. You know, just randomly happened to find this place, and it was a place where you know they had Wi-Fi in the in the lounge, and they had a big screen projecting TV, and a lot of people who lived there, you know, worked in the tech center, you know, tech industry already. So it it, it was a really good fit for for me. Um, not as much for the rest of the people I was with because they weren't as techy as I was but we wound up you know, staying there for a while and, and you know seeing all this stuff and, and, and certain things were getting me really angry like you know I, I wasn't begrudging people uh, for going uh, you know into stores and taking food and water especially since the issues dealing with uh, Katrina um, you know and, and, and the response by the government was, was horrible uh, and, and not getting people who were who were still stranded here uh, the supplies that they needed uh, to you know to last. So I, I, if I was here and I, and I didn't have any access to anything that was um, anywhere you know that edible or, or some water, I, I I might well have done that for especially if I have kids. Absolutely. So we. Uh, you know, but then the other people, you know, stealing, you know, other things, TVs, non-necessities. Those, those were the kind of things that were, you know, that that was like, making me angry. Um, especially also, you know, because because you know, why are you using this this situation to take advantage of other people? That that that's the problem. You were taking advantage of other people. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, taking a TV uh, wasn't the most horrible thing that could potentially, you know, happen. Where there was other bad things going on other, you know, violent crimes that were going on, uh, and, the, and the police were, were, were dealing with major problems, uh, dealing with, you know, in the Superdome and the uh, convention center, uh, there were health issues that were going on, it was just, you know, the, and hearing the talk from Houston, you know, it was breaking my heart just to hear all of the stuff that was going on. Uh, and then other things that were going on at the time. I remember it was this was around the time where they were trying to nominate uh, Roberts to be the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and so there was a lot of a lot of money being spent on these uh, commercials, basically uh, trying to tell everybody that he deserves an up or down vote. And and I've I've probably discussed this on the show. If I haven't, maybe I will at some point in the future as to why up or down votes. I, I think I did it when I was complaining about the, uh, the Democrats and, and how they um, use the use the nuclear option, which which was something I disagreed with. And if uh, anyway, so they were they were demanding uh, that Roberts deserved an up or down vote, and all this money being spent on this petty argument, an inc- incorrect argument to boot. 
which was in that you needed to have an up or down vote. You know, when we, we could have been spending money to help people who were suffering, um, people who were people who were having you know problems, lose who've lost their homes, who lost their lives and livelihood, other people who lost their livelihoods, you know, all because of a man-made disaster. Because the the, the the biggest problems with the storm was not the the hurricane itself. Because again, it it did not hit us directly. Uh, we didn't get the storm surging and you know, the other problems that took place uh, in Hurricane Katrina were could have been prevented. Uh, and that's one of the other things that actually made me mad uh, was because when I ran for Congress in 2004, uh, and I, I was against Bobby Jindal. It was his first congressional run. I was making her coastal restoration and hurricane protection my number one priority uh, in that election. Uh, and he he was talking about health care and this, that, the other, and what, what, what he, because he was some sort of supposed expert. Uh, I, I question that, his expertise uh, in that. You know, he might have experience, but I don't necessarily think that that makes it good or makes his decisions helpful to people. So... But my my main issue that I was running on was no one else is going to make coastal restoration and hurricane protection an issue in Congress. So we need somebody who's going to be able to advocate for that. We need somebody who will show that he's willing to work with people on both sides of the aisle to get this important issue solved because in the next time a big hurricane hits, it could be disastrous. Well, nothing, no action was taken, obviously, because everyone just wanted to vote for good old Bobby Jindal. And at the end of the day, we had... Love you, failures. And one of my things that I will often quote when discussing that election would be when I was campaigning up on the North Shore, and the uh, the uh, I was having a conversation with somebody. I think it was at a Covington Fair, and I said, "Well, look, nobody else in this in this, in this election is making coastal restoration and hurricane protection a priority, and we need somebody up there who's going to fight for that." And the guy goes, "Well, we live on a North Shore. We're not we're not going to care about what goes on." Uh, with all that, you know, it's not, it doesn't directly affect us. And, well, you know, A, that seems kind of selfish to me, but I didn't say that. And B, I said, well, you'll care when gas hits $3 a gallon after a big storm. And he goes, oh, well, that'll never happen. Well, it did happen. It happened after Katrina. Gas skyrocketed. And it's been high for a very long time. And actually now, I actually managed to get gas for less than 2 bucks a gallon today, which was shocking. Uh, but it's not, it has nothing to do with anything Katrina-related. But Katrina did put a big impact on gasoline prices. Uh, and I would have loved to have been able to call him and say, you know, hey, what, didn't you say that would never happen? Well, guess what happened? So um, where was I going with that? Uh, anyway, so, so it was frustrating me that, you know, after all of this, you know, all of all of what I wanted to do if I would have gotten elected, and then to see you know this ab- abject failure of the government to not only prepare for it, but to react to it, uh, because the federal government should be able to react to emer- an emergency like that within its own borders much more quickly than it did, and so I was angry about that too. Um, now, other things, you know, you know, there were there were good things, people that things that made me, you know, you know. Well, certain aspects of humanity were making, getting me down. Other aspects of humanity were bringing me up. I had uh, friends on a forum that I used to debate all sorts of stuff with. Um, and actually, it was the, the day that I, just, I checked in on the forum to basically say, hey, I'm alive, I'm here. Uh, it was actually, I think it was five minutes before they were about to change platforms. So I had perfect timing. 
um, and we and they were they were all happy to see me and they got some money together and contributed to PayPal um, and sent me sent me some money via PayPal and that was you know it's ten years later and I still don't forget that and I won't forget that because it was just wonderful for them uh, to have done that you know for just for me specifically and it was nice for us to have you know the people that we had. Uh, you know, putting uh, putting us up in in the rooms. They were they were furnishing the apartments for us. And, you know, they were they were being very nice people. You know, letting us go week to week. It was it was a wonderful. You know, they they were they were treating us well. Well, well my employer from before the storm, a tenant. Uh, I worked at Memorial Medical Center, the Baptist campus. Uh, there was some issues dealing with that. There was there was uh, some people had some concerns about that. I was I was actually shocked about the the people who they claimed were. You know, you know, were involved in doing the the quote, you know, euthanasia or whatever, to because I didn't see that as being something that was possible. Knowing the people that with them, you know, I, if someone would ask me, you know, as a character witness in in those cases, do you believe that it is possible that they would have done these things? I probably would have said no, just because of the fact that I, I from what I knew of them, I I couldn't see that as being something that they would do. So, but I, that job, they gave me two two whole paychecks, two half paychecks, and a grant above and beyond all that. Uh, so that was, you know, they obviously didn't have to do that, but they did, and that was that was, you know, an example of a very responsible type of employer. Uh, of course, they didn't go back after the storm because the hospital wasn't open. It didn't it didn't open for a very long time, uh, and it was actually. Uh, birth, I think it was less than two years ago. One of our friends uh, gave birth at that hospital. Uh, it was they had just reopened the sixth floor, and I was walking around the sixth floor. On, and you know, I used to walk around all the floors with the job that I had, and I was very, it was very surreal just to see how certain things were different, and certain areas were walled off. And, and, and I went to the third floor where I, where I would normally work, and. All of a sudden, like I see this big long hallway, I'm like, I don't remember this hallway. And then I kind of realized, I realized that everything was was plastered off. You had to, you know, a bunch of drywall just put over this other wall, and so you couldn't see anything else from from that side from past any doors, but except for the fact that there was one door that was, you know, it was locked. And I looked in the window, and there was a light in there. And it was the old carpeting and how everything used to look. Not how it looks now, but how it used to look. And it was kind of like looking at it through a time portal. Like if you were to like have a wormhole that traveled you back in time, like one of the, like on a sci-fi show, and you you would see, you know, you could see into the past. At that point, I think it was eight years. You could, I was looking eight years into the past because that that part of the hospital they hadn't fixed anything yet. There were still wires dangling. I'm sure if you open it up, it probably smelled horrific. Um, so it's it was you know definitely weird to see that uh, going on, uh, but you know that and, and also it's changed health systems too. It went from being a, a tenant to being auctioner, which I don't like <laughs> at all because I have my issues with them, and you know, I've had my issues with them even before my personal issues with them just because of the fact that they're. A, they're supposedly a not-for-profit organization, but they operate as if they are for-profit. Um, but that, that's, an, I guess, probably another story um, for for another time. The 
one of the things, you know, and then, you know, five, I think it was about maybe four, when they finally opened it up so you can come back to the city to check on your property, I went by myself, I took, took a vehicle, went by myself, uh, decided to leave over and drive overnight to try and beat any ru- traffic rush that might have happened. Uh, and, and what was what was weird and I guess kind of risky on my part was the fact that I had uh, I didn't have any gas cans to, to bring gasoline with me, and I didn't know what was going to be open in New Orleans. And and I went to Walmart, went to all these stores, and there were no gas cans in any of these stores. I guess all of the people who had the same idea as me decided to go get gas cans and go take off of them. And so I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just take off going, and I'll look for uh, some sort of Walmart or other sort of gas station that might have gas cans, and I'll do it that way. Fortunately, I got lucky, and I was able to get a gasoline can or a couple of gasoline cans on the way, and then I got... You know, gasoline as well, you know, into Louisiana, not necessarily on Louisiana, uh, not 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 right when I got in, but not far far in either. And I was able to get enough gas to be able to last me to make the trip that I needed to make uh, to New Orleans to check on my house. Is when I saw that the house was in relatively good condition comparatively to the rest of the ones in my neighborhood, um, and it was you know, but it was. I had to go clean out the freezers, and that was just nasty. And I went and dropped off the trash at the dumpster because it was, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody who gags really easily when it comes to bad smells, but let me tell you, that was that was horrible. That was a horrible smell. I mean, I'm sure other people had it worse. But when they came back even lighter, uh, and we, uh, one of the things, you know, I made sure that everything was plugged in when I when I got there so that we could. I knew I was going to go back to Houston. I had to go back to Houston again because everyone else was over there. And I figured to myself, well, if I, you know, everything's plugged in right, I'll be able to make a phone call. And if and if and if the answering machine picks up, well, then we're all good. We're, we'll know we have power. At the time, we didn't have power, and we didn't really have water either. So one of the things I did after I, um, one of the things I did after. You know, I got everything cleaned out and, and got all the trash moved to someplace else and, and cleaned. I've had a whole bunch of cleaning supplies with me, basically making sure that everything in the house was, you know, that wasn't festering anymore. I then uh, took a took a nice, as what I call, Kentwood water shower. Uh, I had a, you know, I had several uh, giant, you know, the five-gallon jugs of water uh, from the, one of the private water uh, spring water places. And I just, you know, just dumped it over my head. <laughs> that was basically my shower that I took after doing all that work. And then I eventually made my way back to Houston. Um, and it was, I mean, I was lucky again because when I was heading back the other way up, up I-10, I saw there was apparently a big accident that took place, and there were there was traffic was backed up, I think, through Lafayette, which is a Lafayette's a two-hour drive to New Orleans. So I mean, the, the tra- traffic trying to get out of New Orleans was bad. I was trying to get back in New Orleans that day was bad, too. Um, and then finally, uh, when we called the house and they were reporting that power was starting to come back, and we called, and, hey, now we have power. And we got back home. And eventually, things, you know, with personally got back to normal, but there was a lot of other things to do uh, with the storm. Oh, there was the, oh, one other thing I forgot was, was Hurricane Wendy. That was just crazy because, you know, we were... Kind of, kind of still packed in boxes and everything like that, and we get to you know this other storm is going to come to us and we're trying to see well where should we go? 
or maybe we should just go back to New Orleans. So, no, but then we decided just to hunker it out, and it wound up being again in Houston. It was Houston didn't get that hit by that either. Uh, we just got a lot of rain um, when we were dealing with it. So that was that was pretty much my experience when you know for evacuating. And then of course we had to come home, had to deal with many issues, going back to school for me, uh, trying to get some classes taken. Uh, they had some online options that were available to us. Uh, we had other uh, trying to find a job work to do, trying to find, you know, trying to, try to figure out ways that I can help out people, uh, volunteering, um, just just simply just also just getting food in, in some cases because a lot of the stores weren't open and when they were open you had limited supplies of stuff. Uh, so you had to do things like get MREs or go to the Red Cross vans that were giving out, you know, burgers and stuff like that. And while those were good and the MREs were filling, you know, I also didn't you know, realize how much how much of a calorie punch uh, that these can have. And, you know, I actually wound up after coming back from Katrina putting on a lot of weight just because of the fact that there are so many calories in those MREs. Um, and, you know, then things wound up not working out with the with the one I was with, and so I moved out of that. But you know, all all, all things I guess that happen in your life uh, happen for a reason, and you know, I, I wouldn't change anything that I personally done because I'm very happy with my life right now, with my wife, with my children, and, and I would hate to say that I would want to do anything different because if I did anything different, things wouldn't uh, things maybe wouldn't be as they are now. Um, so that's pretty much my uh, story uh, from the storm, uh, from Hurricane Katrina. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take the first commercial break. Uh, taking your calls as well, area code 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. Or step up to the mic live here at Rising, Tri- Rising Tide X uh, in North Xavier University, New Orleans. That's Liberal Band Radio. Up from the left, that's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. I am sick and tired of the propaganda in today's media. You know, we can't have a sane discussion about politics. Well, yes, you can, and it's on ROJS Radio Live with the girls, Monica RW, and Autumn S. I'm there every week when they discuss Michigan and national politics, job search, unemployment, and more from an independent laugh, sanity-based point of view. So, tune in. ROJS Radio Live, Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. sharp here on the Blog Talk Radio Network.
Welcome back to Liberal Band Radio's Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, from live from Rising Tide X uh, at Xavier University in New Orleans, Louisiana. To contact the show, it is area code 347-838-8368. Uh, that is uh, area code 347-838-8368. Uh, still trying to get the chat room to open. It's not uh, not seeming to want to cooperate. I guess it's one of the technical difficulties you have to deal with uh, when doing the show. Um, and again, if you're listening, if you're listening to the podcast after the live broadcast, either via downloading this show from iTunes or directly from the Block Talk Radio website itself. You can also leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. Um, at uh, liberaldan.com on this show thread uh, discussing uh, the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Um, last break I was giving sort of my, my story as to what happened when I had to evacuate, uh, reliving that. You know, there are a lot of people who potentially are you know, who who are going through uh, Katrina fatigue uh, when it comes to just, you know, having to hear about Katrina all the time and every year, each year. And, and I could potentially see, you know, why people might kind of say that uh, just because of the fact that, you know, you know, having to relive it over and over again, especially if, if, you, if you had uh, loss because of your family or, or you know, major uh, financial losses as well, um, you you know, I could see why it might be painful to, to to relive it year after year after year. But you know, I personally think that it's important uh, to not just—I mean, none of us are going to forget. None of us are going to forget. Anybody who had to deal with Hurricane Katrina in any way, shape, or form is going to remember that, and it's going to stay in their memory for a long time. But I think it's important to make sure that we make sure that nobody else forgets either. People who didn't have to live through this, people who who might just say, well, why can't they get over it right now? Well, well because there's still work to do. Uh, and only, even if there was no work to do, even if we managed to rebuild everything, uh, make sure that everything, you know, is, quote, better, uh, which I guess is a very subjective term, uh, you, can, uh, you can suggest that maybe certain things, you know, might be, quote, improved from a financial standpoint, but not necessarily better uh, from a quality of life or from how things used to be uh, or a cultural heritage standpoints as well. And there are a lot of, you know, a lot of other people who, who could probably maybe discuss those issues better than myself, um, but they're, they're definitely ones that need to take place. But we, we need to make sure that, you know, those people who don't, who haven't lived it, who don't know, who have never dealt with it, are, we need to make sure that they don't, for, that they don't forget what happened here and to make sure that, and even if we manage to fix everything, we need to make sure that it never happens again. We need to work on, you know, infrastructure changes. We need to work on uh, fixing our you know, educational systems and other systems, our support systems, how how to deal with emergencies that take place within our own borders, uh, because it was it was a pretty much a national embarrassment as to what happened uh, here in this state. Um, do see somebody on the line? I think you can push one if you do want to talk. Uh, should raise your hand if you do that. Um, if you're just listening, that's fine. Um, but uh, but push one, I think, and that raises your hand if you do want to talk. Um, so anyway, um, well, I don't know. Well, let, let's just see. Let's just see. Did Oscar? Did you want to join in, or were you just listening? Hello. I think you might be just listening. Okay, so. Again, if you can hit the button button if you want to uh, 
if you do want to um, contribute or, or ask questions, etc. Um, so we have lots of lots of things going on um, in this in the city today. Not only is it Rising Tide X, uh, but we also have uh, Day of Services, days of some service day that's going on where people are, you know, all over the city are, are working to help clean up areas or do other sort of volunteering. Some people are volunteering for Rising Tide X, uh, and that's their service. And it's wonderful. It's great that they're doing that. Uh, we also have, um, but all across the city, you know, East Bank, West Bank, um, people are making this into a day of service, into a day of helping their own communities. And, you know, that's de definitely a good thing to happen. Um, because, you know, we definitely need more of that, people helping their own communities, people, um, you know, people working together, and people I think are coming in from out of town. And then later tonight, there's going to be an event at the Smoothie King Center, which is the uh, you know, smaller sports arena of the two that are sitting next to each other, right next to the Superdome. And it, in it, uh, there's going to be uh, a service with and prayer and President Bill Clinton is going to be speaking so I'll be heading to that later after I finish uh, my responsibilities over here at Rising Tide so and again I, I want to you know talk about you know if you go to Rising Tide's website there is a link uh, to the GoFundMe account uh, of Rising Tide and they're putting this on for free but they do have costs involved with running the, the convention and as such they're, they are seeking your help so I highly encourage you, if you're listening to the show, to please go over and help them out, make a contribution uh, to them. And also, if you are uh, listening here and you like, you know, Liberal Band Radio, I did uh, on the Facebook page and on Twitter. Uh, you should be able to see um, I'm giving away some of the swag. Uh, or not, well, I have swag that, that's available for contributors at certain levels. Uh, so if you contribute on, on the website. Or on the GoFundMe, if you contribute 20, I'll, I'll throw in a bumper sticker just as a thanks. And if you contribute 50, uh, I'll throw in a T-shirt just as, again, a, a bigger thanks. Um, or maybe I'll throw in a T-shirt and a bumper sticker, too, if you give 50. Uh, I might have to change that. Um, but if you come here at Rising Tide, um, you, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm cutting that in half. So it's, it's $10 a contribution will get you a free bumper sticker, and a $25 contribution will get you a free T-shirt. So, I mean, if you so if you want to swim around and get some some cool liberal dance swag and help support the radio show, I, I'd be I would love to see you. And you can also step up to the mic and share your stories of what took place, you know, when you with you during Katrina or things that have happened to you since Katrina, things that you think are failing because of Katrina or because of ineptitude of uh, people in government, be it at, at the local, state, or federal level. Um, you have issues with education, you have issues with uh, you know, things our governor has said about um, this anniversary of Katrina. Again, you can talk about you know, all those things if you want. You can also call in if you can't make it today. Um, or again, you can also leave your comments at liberaldan.com on the show thread, and that way you will be able to uh, you know, just, just have your say, I guess. So we have uh, a, lot, a lot of issues that are coming up or coming out, you know, about, you know, Katrina and New Orleans in general. Um, the 
there's one website, The Lens, and actually um, for a while, Mark, who had been on the show previously, who, who helped me hook all this up, you know, gave me, uh, used to work for there as well. Um, and there's a, a good article over there, Myths Surrounding Katrina, uh, Still Flow from Reporters and Politicians After 10 Years. So it's not just, uh, it's not just people, you know, who are just everyday people, you know, talking about things that they don't know anything about. This is people, these are people who should know what they're talking about, be they in the media, be they politicians representing the area, representing maybe other areas. Uh, people should know these things, and that they do not, it's, it's, it's pretty scary. Um, you know, one of the things, you had quotes that took place from after the storm, uh, Michael Chertoff, Homeland Security Chief from September 5th, 2005, that, quote, perfect storm of a combination of catastrophes exceeded the foresight of planners and maybe anybody's foresight. President Bush at the time, I don't think anybody anticipated the breach of the levees. They did anticipate a serious storm. Um, Marcy Kapter from Ohio. Uh, it was as though no one wanted to listen. Well, God bless everyone because nature can't, can't control. She does what she wants. Okay. So if you accept the first, they're saying if you accept the first two, first two statements as true, uh, the third seems reasonable. Um, again, but the problem is the first thing is that it was a natural disaster. Uh, Katrina was a natural phenomenon, but the flooding was because of poor construction of the levee flood protection system by the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, they say it probably cost 84 caused 84 percent of the flooding. So this is a, this is a man-made issue man-made issues uh, that could have been prevented had people, you know, listened to those trying to say that the next storm is going to be a problem if you don't fix the hurricane protection system. The hurricane protection system is not adequate enough. I said that in 2004. If, if me, a politician, just person trying to begin my time in politics, can tell you, and correctly so, that the levee protection system, that our hurricane protection system was inadequate to deal with the big storm, it, is inexcus it was inexcusable for other people who were elected officials to not realize it as well and to not advocate for change to make sure uh, that this happened because it, it not only cost you know, people livelihoods, it cost people their lives, um, and, and it was, was the drastic harm uh, to, this, to this area that we're still uh, covering from. But weirdly enough, in 2004, uh, FEMA and the State of uh, Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness had conducted a Hurricane PAM exercise, uh, which modeled a Category 3 storm hitting New Orleans, overtopping the levee system, and flooding the city with 20 feet of water. Uh, the PAM model shows levees, showed levees being overtopped. It did not predict that levees would break, but it still predicted the flooding. Uh, and in the Times Picayune 2002 series, Washing Away, uh, you had... Uh, more intense storm hitting Katrina, hitting the metro area. Uh, experts were interviewed, uh, a scenario where the city's levees combined with the bowl-shaped geography, because you're in a levee system, would trap storm surge water for weeks or even months. Uh, so people did anticipate the problems that might, um, people, people were anticipating these problems. They were suggesting that there are problems that are happening here. Uh, and you know, even in 2004, uh, the, seven, the 17th Street Canal, people who lived right by it, and that broke during Katrina, 
uh, people were reporting water pooling in their yards uh, uh, to the water utility, and the Sewage and Water Board uh, never contacted uh, the Corps of Engineers to explain them that this problem was going on. So to, to say, when people say that this is a natural disaster, and when people say that nobody could anticipate this as being a natural problem, those two statements are patently and categorically false. Categorically false. You, people were pre preparing for such a thing with, with models, and people, you know, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't a natural disaster. What happened here is because of man-made failures. Another myth. Uh, New Orleans is below sea level. That's what I've said before when I was, you know, you know, first new to the city. Um, the AP, an estimated 80% of below sea level area was underwater up 20 feet, 20 feet deep in places, miles of homes swamped. Um, some people, Dennis Hastert was quoted in the Associated Press by saying, it makes no sense to spend billions of dollars to rebuild a city that's, even, that's seven feet under sea level. Of course, you know, he probably had no problem rebuilding other areas that were suffering from catastrophes, uh, man-made or naturally, uh, like California, who has the earthquakes. Um, like a predict unpredictable disaster myth, uh, they say New Orleans low elevation played a role in political debates of whether or not it was worthwhile to invest in the city. And I shared this link to the link to the to this article over, you know, it's on facebook.com slash liberaldan, or it should have gone through to uh, the Twitter account, at liberaldanradio on Twitter. And it shows an elevation map uh, with major roads in it and other areas marked off. And it shows how, what, what the sea level is in certain areas. And there are some areas that are between 1.25 and 4 feet below sea level. Absolutely. There's plenty of them. But there are other areas in the city that are not, that are either at sea level or, or even 4 to 8 feet above sea level in different areas. Uh, it, it, this is show, and this is just showing, uh, this map is just showing um, Orleans Parish and some of the West Bank of Jefferson Parish and St. Bernard Parish. St. Bernard Parish um, the Mr. Go system and that area, you know, also got a lot of flooding. My wife actually had inherited a house uh, in the St. Bernard Parish area, and it got eight feet of water. So it, it was it was gone. There was the, the storm killed it. But I mean, if you look at areas of St. Bernard, there's some areas that are still above uh, above sea level. They're not. It's not an entire. The entire area isn't a bowl. There are some parts, again, within the levee system that is a bowl, but there are other areas that you know, are above sea level. You have um, where I live, Algiers Point, um, you know, I think down pretty much all the way down General Meyer, all the way, uh, the, the, the closest main street to my house uh, is someplace that is, I think it looks like to be maybe one or two feet above water. Uh, that's that, if I'm judging the color codes correctly. It's, it's a very weird color coding system because it goes from darker red to lighter colors and to darker colors again, which doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, it was from the City of New Orleans Planning Commission. Uh, it says a little bit about the City of New Orleans Planning Commission. Uh, it doesn't seem to be intuitive to make darker colors and lighter colors and darker colors again to represent uh, low to high, low to below sea level to at sea level to above sea level. That doesn't make too much sense in that area. 
but it still, I mean, it serves its purpose. And you can see that where the dark, dark areas are, and you can see where the other non-dark areas are. And you can tell by that point what is at sea level, what is below, what is above. So again, it's more myths that basically the entire area is seven feet as the Nahastra says, below sea level. Um, Another thing, shooters were picking off cops and relief workers. It was one of the one of the most outrageous examples in post-Katrina crime wave genre, as it says over here in the lens. There was chaos. There was problems, of course. Um, there was um, in 2005, Times Union debunked many of the stories. Um, there was only one killing at either site. Um, Danny Brumfield, who was shot by police, and of course there are reports of mass looting. Um, there are many confirmed reports of looting after the storm. Some of the alleged looting was people gathering food, water, and supplies. Again, what I said earlier, something that I didn't have a problem with. Um, I, you did see pictures of people walking out with like TVs and stuff like that, and those people were horrible people. But you know, the Orleans police shouldn't give you, be giving an order to shoot if what you're doing is walking out there with food and water to survive. Because obviously it wasn't the federal government who was not doing its job bringing supplies to New Orleans in the catastrophe that happened, the man-made catastrophe that happened. So the bad media also played a role in the Danziger Bridge shootings, which is, again, this came up recently. We discussed this with um, Gary Rivlin, who was a guest on my show two weeks ago. Um, we were discussing that and how that there's a new trial surrounding the people because of how uh, Jim Lighton and his office worked. Uh, initial police reports uh, from this claimed that people on the bridge were firing on several officers. Uh, that was later proven false in court. You know, I guess this is actually probably one of the first things that this, the Danzinger Bridge is, is definitely one of those areas, you know, where you know you, you can definitely have a discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement because you have you know many of the situations that have have happened in the last few years where we're showing examples of police lying about what happens in initial reports. Here's another example where police lie in the initial reports about what was going on in uh, a particular bad police action, and then it turns out that they were, you know, false. They're, they're, not, they're not being truthful. They're covering their own asses with lies, and they're covering things up. Um, you know, the media did take much of the blame, as according to the lens, for the over-the-top coverage uh, however, um, the uh, former Times-Picayune reporter who now works for The Advocate said that the information was often coming from people who would ordinarily be considered reliable sources, such as Mayor Ray Nagan and Police Superintendent Eddie Compass. And I have another story about that issue to deal with probably during the next break. Um, next lie, or, or falsehood, or what have you, myth. Uh, the recovery school district was created in response to Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Hurricane Katrina did hasten the expansion of the recovery school district. Uh, the recovery school district was created in 2003 to deal with failing schools and helping them recover uh, academically. It was a next step in the state, accountability, the state accountability system. Um, the, char the change what happened uh, and enabled the RC to take over majority of the schools, leaving only the highest performing ones under the Orleans Parish School Board's control. And that could be a reason why a recent report had come out showing that, you know, even though some, you know, the RSD schools had improved, that you're still not seeing, you know, 
you know, the only A schools that are in the city right now are still under OPSB, Orleans Parish School Board control. They're not under the RSD, Recovery School District control. So is the Recovery School District being helpful? You know, I don't think so. Uh, I think that there are, there are many issues, especially because we've basically gone full charter, and you should, you know, never go full charter. And never have agreements coming from the, the people walking by. Don't go full charter. Um, but the... Uh, Sure, I would love to have you sit down and you can put on your headphones and, and what's your name? Hooray! Just say your name on the, for the for the audience. Hi, this is Katie Mono with Rising Tide. Uh, thank you very much for jumping on the first first uh, guest. Okay, and, and I've been a big uh, I've I've discussed charter schools for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'm in Orleans Parish. My, my my kids in first grade at an Orleans Parish charter school. Um, it's his second one. His in, we were in first grade and it's the second one because in pre-K we went to one and it was abysmally horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I have given my reasons, but let's let you share yours first so we can see. Okay, well, I used to teach at a charter school okay. in North Little Rock, Tech, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. Um, it was the first charter school in the district and I was an inclusion teacher, which means I worked with kids with special needs inside the regular classroom. Right. And the big thing that I noticed was that we did not have um, a particular program called the Resource Room, which okay. is available to kids with special needs in reading and math. Mm-hmm. We had self-contained, which means you spent all day in a special classroom, and we had inclusion, which means you spent all day in a regular classroom. Right. We didn't have that pull-out special class for the kids that had trouble keeping up. Sure. Um, what we would do was, if we had a child, and I did have one while I was teaching there, that needed that resource. And so we had to send her to another school, which is fine because right. there was another school to send her to. Right. Um, I'm not. I'm fairly certain in Orleans, if you have a child that, uh, if you know, they can't meet their needs, there is no other traditional style school to send them to. That's right. And one of the things that my child actually did have a speech. You know, he actually has a speech pathologist now that's assigned to him at the school uh, that he is currently at, and he, he is in speech therapy as an IEP uh, for those issues. And even though he's speaking speaking wonderfully now, he was delayed speech. Uh, but when we initially, once he switched from like early steps at three to the public school system, normally the the rule is is that you have to send your kid to the local school mm-hmm. uh, to be able to get services. And if you in a charter in a complete charter school system, there is no local school, yeah. so they don't have to follow that. But they can basically send you wherever you want, mm-hmm. and it, it it can be very that can be very difficult for parents of of children with disabilities. Well, yeah, when I left the system in 2007, I did because my um, oldest son had had a stroke at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, we came to New Orleans to live by our families, and we looked around, and we I saw the all charter system that was rapidly taking shape in Orleans Parish and I told my husband I love New Orleans but we can't live there right. because they won't be able to accommodate our son. So we live in St. Tammany Parish because they have a traditional school system that can meet the needs of special needs children uh, and provide them full support which I right. don't think the all charter system can do. And one of the things that we were discussing I remember discussing this way back I think it was in 2006 because we were having uh, I was volunteering for the David Garrity campaign when he was running against Jindal in 2006. Um, he we were having discussions about, you know, school systems and whether or not you wanted to have uh, charter schools or not. Uh, what, 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 moving to a privatization approach, and 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 you know, we were discussing the fact that you know you don't see a lot of private schools that are not parochial schools in St. Tammany because their school system is so good. You have a good public schooling system there. There's no need. Parents don't want to spend their spend that extra money to send their kids to these schools. So. 
obviously you have cases where 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 you have public, good public school systems and they can work. So you know, we were we were always making the argument: make that the model. Go try and make sure that you know the kids have that opportunity it, it, to have a good local school. So you don't have to worry about sending them somebody else, sending them spending extra money to go to a private school, or in, in the case of New Orleans, shipping them across town if need be, because. You know, everyone talks about school choice. Well, I don't have a choice. I have a lottery. I have to put my kid in this in 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 an application in the hope that we get our first choice or one of the top ones. Fortunately, we did because the school we had, were at actually required us to jump jump through a couple of extra hoops to get into it. Um, but I Which know may or may not be legal. Yeah, um, <laughs> one of one of their one of the things that the school actually did. Um, Change like they charge for school supplies because it's a, it's a, it's an immersion school, so they need specialty school supplies. I understand that, mm-hmm. um, but they won't give you an itemized list as to what those things are. Mm-hmm. Um, then the other thing was an enrichment free that was I think the first year that we were there. It was it was deemed to be required, and this year's wording it's said to be optional. So and I actually had asked my school board member. I said, "Well, what's going on with this? That I shouldn't have to pay a fee to go to a public school," and. And that's one thing that may be, um, you know, may, maybe that's what made them switch it from being mandatory to optional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing was that, um, you know, I guess I can understand one of the things that they require is that you have to go to a class to make sure your kid is ready for immersion because mm-hmm. he does immersion, he's a Spanish immersion. Mm-hmm. So I could maybe see that. But still, you have to go through a lot of steps as a parent to get into the school, which means par- kids with parents that are a parent that have two jobs and can't afford to be missing work, to be jumping through all those hoops, are not going to have those same opportunities to get into these schools. Absolutely. And it's, it's not going to be a... It's not, it's not a I don't think there's any way you can argue that, that the charter systems are fair towards people who have uninterested parents, right. towards people who have limited resources. I mean, call me... Pre- and, I, and I mean, and you know, not to throw stones, but I do sometimes question even the whole immersion school model and if that's mm. not just a fancy way of keeping certain groups out. It's, I mean, the, to be fair, this, the school that he is at is, is you know, we, we, we toured it. It's fairly well diverse. Great. When it comes to that. It, it's, and that's one of the reasons we picked the first school because it was, it was, that was an immersion, but it was a very diverse school and I wanted to have, you know, access to people of many different cultures and stuff like that. And I, you know, that part of it is... I, I don't know. I, that, I can't see that happening. Where you want to keep, where you could use model to, to take public funds in a public school system or a public school setting, but still be able to say, okay, well, these people we don't want to have in our school system. There's apparently. There's, I mean, you know, you uh, you probably know that you know most school testing is biased towards people oh, yeah. from higher socioeconomic groups. Right. So it is possible that they could be screening kids based on quote unquote ability, and what they're really doing is screening them based on socioeconomic status. True. That that is also that is also a good argument that could be made, and and against those 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 and standards. I, I also just think about preferences. I mean, you know, if you come from a background where you've never had to, in, I mean, I think I come from a very typical middle class background. My parents sure. took me to Europe when I was in high school. We went again as a family in college. I mean, I can certainly see the benefit of having more than one language. If you've never left your neighborhood, you may feel less inclined to put your kid in an immersion school right. where they would be learning things in a language you don't understand and why you may, may not even understand why that's valuable. 
Right. So I've sorry, I apologize okay, for no hijacking problem. your chit. No, no, that, it's open mic. Everybody can come <laughs> on in. And I'm, I'm encouraging it. I'm doing a three-hour show just because I want people to yeah. come in and say that. One of the other things, I though, have that so many thoughts on education. Oh, one of the other things with the charter school things that just drives me crazy, and 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 I, I'm not in this position yet yeah. because my my younger son is not old enough to be in the school yet. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee that our kids are going to go to the same school. I'm hoping, you know, they have, I think in some of the formula that, that, that you have some weight uh, because you have a sibling, yeah, there's some weight that. because uh, you're local. Yeah. But because we, our school that we're attending to is the local. It's yeah. it, 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 not necessarily the district school, but it's yeah. close enough. It's in Algiers. Both of them, we live in Algiers, it's in Algiers, it's close uh-huh. enough. But I know people with three kids it, who, who would be in elementary school in three different schools. Yeah. And they, the busing situation is ridiculous. Like, you have to be at this bus stop at 8.05, at this bus stop at 8.10. Mm-hmm. You know, what if that first bus is late, and then you go to the second bus, and you, you yeah. miss the second bus? It's and, you know, I'll tell you, I had that issue in St. Tammany because I have kids with speech delay, and sure. they assigned one to one school with speech delay lady, and they assigned one to another school. But the beauty of St. Tammany is, is I simply wrote a note and said, um, I see that you've sent one of my kids to this school and one of my kids to that school. Um, can you pick a school? Right. And they said, sure. And they changed the school immediately. Where, if, and, I mean, I don't think that's really an option, Orleans, where you're like, look, my kids go to two different schools. Help me out. I don't right. think they help you out. Really. We made we made such a, such a stink because, like, the school, my mother-in-law would have to take the, my son to the speech therapy. And, and since there's no local school, they said, you're going over here. And we're like, Really, that's not even that's not close enough to our school to be, I guess, to be helpful to us. Mm-hmm. So we made enough of us think that instead of going into like the normal elementary school, he was getting speech services at high school. So which he thought was awesome because he's sitting there walking in, walking down the walking down the classrooms with all these big kids and all the all the big kids are like giving him high fives and stuff like that and they, they loved him there. But yeah. you know, but if he was getting services at a school that wasn't his the school that he attended. Well, he wasn't in school at all at that point oh, okay. because it, because it was. Uh, How old was he? Over three, because once you turn three. You do. You go to center-based care. Yeah, you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So even though he's not in pre-K yet, even he's, he's in early inter- He's in early yeah, intervention. right. Preschool early intervention. Right. So once he got the once he got to pre-K four, he got the services at his school that he went to. Yeah. Um, over in. Yeah. Over. Well, good for you. It, it's it's been tough, but I mean I I've dealt with the system, and I don't know if I as long as the system works in the way it is, I, I will continue to work and to do the best for my kids and try and get everything. And I think and, that you should, and, you and we you can continue to feel bad and to speak yeah. up about the kids that aren't able to access the system in right. the same way. Yeah, and that, that's my point. It's like just because my kid is doing well, it doesn't mean it's a good system. It, it doesn't. My kid should be. My kid will probably do well. My kid's pretty bright, and I think I'm pretty hands-on. And I think he would do well in, in, if, if we went back to the old way. And I think a lot of other kids would do well that way. Too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's interesting you would raise that point because one of the greatest indicators of school success is parental involvement. And when you take away neighborhood schools, which you essentially do, is you make it a lot more difficult for parents to be involved, especially those parents that don't have transportation. Right. So, uh, you know, you're... Yeah. Not a fan. Right. Not a fan. Like I said, I don't mind a charter here and there. I've worked at one. It was excellent school. I loved being there. Really thought we had a great energy in the building. Right. But um, I also think that there need to be traditional schools, and those, like you said, those need to be part of the model as well. Right. I think I think that we need to be a main part of the model. Yeah. yeah. Charters. I have no problem. I said this before on the show. I have no problems with charters as the exception. 
I have no problems with like if there are some specialty things like yeah if you want to send your kid to an immersion school yeah if you want that option if you want to have um, math and science math and science yeah or, you know, or having or magnet schools too I mean I went to a magnet school when I was in, but my magnet school was still it was still a public school it wasn't a pub privately run charter too are you from here no I'm from Baltimore so but yeah so we um, I, I just I can't I can't I can't support or endorse the idea because I've, 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 I'm in the system already even for just two years and I, and I see the problems with it. Yeah. If I'm seeing the problems with it and I'm doing and I'm not suffering from many of them I can only imagine how other parents are doing other kids are feeling mm-hmm. um, and, how, and all the other issues that could be coming from it. So. Great. Well it's really nice to it meet you. It was very nice to meet you as well. Thank, Thank you for you. coming I'll on. I'll see you around. Great. I'll definitely. be encouraging people to come by. Awesome. Yeah definitely do that because I mean that's what I'm here for. Yeah no, I heard that. That's why I sat down. Cool. Awesome. And I saw it said open mic. Yeah. All right, well, have a good one. Okay, so that was, you know, again, it was a great, great conversation about charter schools and everything like that. And it was good that it was, you know, have expertise uh, coming in and giving us that information, uh, you know, that she basically has to share, you know, not just here in New Orleans, but other places where, you know, the charters aren't necessarily giving the kids what they need to best uh, give them their, uh, fit their needs, to fill their needs, et cetera. Uh, let me go ahead. I'm going to take uh, another small break. Uh, coming back. Uh, if you're here, you, I'll, you can step up to the mic. I can take your calls as well. 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. This is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Production of Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Ten years on from the Hurricane Katrina disaster, social justice groups are still working in the Gulf region to overcome decades of social and economic injustice. Martha Bergmark of the Mississippi Center for Justice reflects on the hurricane and the social justice struggle that occurred in its wake. Hard to really imagine, in a way, just how cataclysmic it was, and yet it was an event that really peeled back the layers on social justice problems that have plagued our region forever. In trying to recover from this terrible disaster, we had an opportunity to try to do it in a way that was more equitable, more fair to some of the hurricane's most vulnerable survivors. So 10 years later, we see a region that has recovered in many ways, I think because of the work of civil legal aid and social justice partners across the region. And yet we did not change the underlying reality that, you know, hundreds of years of uh, well-entrenched policy and practice have put in place. We still are a region that is our nation's poorest, where folks at the bottom of the ladder have the biggest struggle. Bergmark says that the civil legal aid she mentioned is critical for poor and working people if they are to get social and economic justice. If folks at the bottom of the economic spectrum can't have access to legal help, just right there along with the, all the other sort of first response kind of needs that, that have to be met, there just needs to be a recognition that 
uh, legal help is first and foremost it's near the top of the list. The Bank of Labor is raising wages, joining the AFL-CIO effort to put more money in workers' pockets. The Bank of Labor says it's setting a minimum wage of $15 an hour for its employees. Bank of Labor is based in Kansas City, Kansas, and has an office in Washington, D.C. Workers there are members of the United Mine Workers. The bank and the UMWA both embraced the AFL-CIO call to raise wages. The Bank of Labor was founded and is majority-owned by the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, Iron Ship Builders, Blacksmiths, Forgers, and Helpers. Bank of Labor CEO Newton Jones says that the AFL-CIO's Raising Wages campaign benefits all workers, union and non-union alike, by setting a standard to which all employers should aspire. Through such initiatives, he says, we can help restore the middle class. Workers' Independent News is made possible in part through underwriting support from OPEIU the Office and Professional Employees International Union. If you like this labor news, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and visit us at laborradio.org. You've been listening to WIN, Workers' Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you live from Rising Tide X at Xavier University in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, taking your phone calls as well, discussing the uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina, the anniversary, Katrina 10. Uh, you can call in at 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. Or you can also uh, Skype us if you can link through the show page or if you're listening after the live broadcast. You can leave your comments, questions, and concerns over at the show thread at liberaldan.com. We have another guest up at the open mic. Uh, If you're here, if you come here between 10 and 1, I'm allowing everybody to come up and talk about uh, what they're doing here, their Katrina stories, etc. And we have another guest at the mic, so introduce yourself. Uh, uh, My name's Ryan. Uh, Ryan from uh, Memphis. Okay. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at rhancock19. Okay. And uh, basically, uh, I'm here uh, just speaking about, I'm here basically speaking about the uh, Tulane basketball thing. I just finished up my, I just finished up my presentation over here in this room, and we're about to record our own thing called the Porter Street Social Football Club. Okay. Tell us a little more about that. Well, the Porter Street Social Football Club, uh, it is uh, loosely based. On um, because I love New Orleans and stuff. It's a uh, basically we talk. It's a football and variety show. We air every Monday night on Blog Talk Radio, and we also uh, air. We sometimes air live shows uh, whenever I'm in the New Orleans area. When I'm whenever I'm in the New Orleans area and whatnot. So one of the things that we do with our show, we want to show you guys the good of New Orleans. We talk about some things we talk about. We talk about, you know, stuff that goes on here. We talk about mental health. We've talked about not just things revolving around the Saints, but we talk about things that are important to New Orleans, to New Orleanians. And we also talk about things that are just fun. We're just a football and variety show. We're not your typical radio show. Right. And uh, I've been in radio ever since I was 11 years old. Uh, my first, the first time, uh, the first time 
I did radio. I was doing it at a kids' radio station. Sure. And I also had a background doing stand-up comedy. I did stand-up comedy for a couple of years. And um, how was that? Because I've actually wanted to get into uh, get into that a little bit as well. Was that, well, was that? when I did stand-up com when I did stand-up comedy, uh, it was by accident, and it was because uh, I had a friend of mine. I, I was in Chicago. I performed it at, in Chicago. Right. And at the time, uh, at the time, what I at the time when I uh, when I did my comedy act, when I did my comedy, when I did my comedy, it was just basically just talk about things that were important to me and talk about things that I was very uh, aware about. Right. And I ended up trying to get a variety of sketch comedy pilot, uh-huh. and by ninth by the time. By the time I finished, uh, by the time I got into college, they were like, "Well, we're not going to do it. We, we can't do your, uh, your, we can't do your pilot." So I ended up going into school. I ended up going into social work, mm-hmm. and eventually, eventually, I stayed in it for three years. Did it for three years, and then I started doing other various projects, uh, various projects. Um, Regarding, you know, whether it was fair housing, how you know, urban blight, things like that. Those are um, so, those are the things that are very important to me. Outside of being a jerk on Twitter, sometimes. <laughs> and, I know, we actually, I just saw, I was looking up your Twitter account. I was going to follow you. We already follow each other yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, we do. So I was we like, do. There you go. But uh, anyway, um, anytime you want to come on our show, the party. Poetry Street Social Football Club. We don't. We don't. We rarely talk about politics. We don't really talk. I mean, I, one of our guests, one of our co-hosts, is a Republican. Right. right. So we, but we rarely talk about politics. We rarely talk about politics. We rarely. We talk about just fun things. You know, we talk about fun things. We had discussions about the Confederate flag on our show. Uh, we right. had discussions about mental health on the show. So it's the so the, the those things. Are important. You don't see that on a on a sports talk show. And more importantly, we're very diverse. We have sure. a black. We have one of my co-hosts, Quinn Scott. He graduated from here. Uh, one of my co-hosts graduated from here. He graduated from Xavier University. And uh, also, we have a, we have a Republican. We have a Republican. Um, we have a Republican on our show. We have uh, we have a guy from Mississippi on our show, Colin. And, and as I say, it's a very diverse show. We bring anybody on, anybody on that wants to uh, talk with us. But uh, again, Liberal Dan, I thank you so much. And guys, y'all check out the Poetry Street Social Football Club on Monday night, 6.30 on Block Talk Radio. And you can also tune in to Liberal Dan, okay? I, I endorse him. He always has a place at the corner of Poetry and LaSalle. And um, who that? Awesome. Thank you very much. It was no great. Anytime you want to come back, call into the show at a normal time, too. I'd be more than happy to have you. Uh, discuss all the no problem. Well. No problem. Awesome. Glad to have you. Again, open mic. I'm very happy. The open mic thing is working very well today. Uh, I have people coming up, and I'm sure we're going to have a couple more as well coming up to the show. Um, definitely look forward to um, chatting more with him in the future. And... Um, so now we're going to continue on until we get another person coming up to the uh, show. Um, we'll be talking about some more of the things from the Lens article. Let's head back to that. Um, a lot of the myths and mis- mis- 
misconception. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily know. I haven't actually heard people saying that everything is better now. I mean, I guess better is the subjective term. I mean, I guess it's better than it was, you know, October, November 20, 2005. I mean, technically that is correct. Um, but there's statements that have been the Atlantic over there. Um, let's see. There are three ways things could have gone. In the first story, New Orleans lives into its own wet grave, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the second story... Um, New Orleans rebuilds itself as it was before, a sleepy southern belle of a town serving up wet weekends of intemperance. In the third story, Hurricane Katrina somehow kickstarts an age of innovation and an economic renaissance, a city written off for dead. The Big Easy has chosen a third path, a hard path. Uh, a struggle has been revealed, both the tantalizing allure and the deep challenges of reinventing a city. Chicago Tribune, um, same year, a couple months later, Hurricane Katrina gave Great American City a rebirth. So a lot of people are apparently saying these sort of things. And I probably would have discussed these comments uh, before. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was 2015 when, August 13th, 2015, when uh, that second quote was given. So it was two years later. And I, I can't really uh, say that I agree with them, and obviously the lens doesn't agree with them because there, I mean, there again, there are there are there are things that have improved in this city. Don't get me wrong; I mean, it it it, it definitely improved since the storm, but I don't necessarily think that there you can say that there are areas that it's improved, you know, because of the storm. Or if you're looking at New Orleans before Katrina and now, that you go, ooh, you know, things are so much better. You know, there are areas that are. I mean, there's a lot more, for example, restaurants that are taking place, a lot more food options. And you wouldn't think that that's possible because you have, New Orleans has known, been part for tourism, for, for and having such good cuisine, having such good um, good places to eat. And now there are even more good places to eat. And that's wonderful. That's a great thing. But conversely, there are blighted homes. There are homes that have yet to be rebuilt, but they're only partially rebuilt because you know, when Gary Rivlin was on two weeks ago, we discussed this, that you have a situation where uh, money was given out based off of property value and not based off of cost to replace the funds, to replace the, 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 the houses, replace and rebuild those houses. And, and that was funny because I had that show, we had the discussion, and then I was watching Catching Back Up on NCIS New Orleans, uh, one of the shows that I watch. Um, and some of the things does a little cheeky, you know, typical, you know, Hollywood, uh, you know, how the Hollywood shows New Orleans, you know, oh, got to eat your gumbo right now, that sort of thing. Uh, like that's one of the first episodes of, of um, Treme, where it's like, oh, you're eating red beans? It's not even Monday. Well, people eat red beans on Tuesdays and Saturdays as well, whenever they feel like eating it. It's just sometimes it's, it's a traditional dish to serve on Monday. You know, when I used to work at Pan American, um, Pan American Life Insurance Company down the street from my current employer, you know, Mondays was Red Beans Day. You go there if you wanted to have red beans, you can have red beans. But it's, it doesn't mean you can't have red beans on any other day. It's kind of silly. Um, but the show also made it a point. To, you know, it showed people in the ninth ward. It showed people, you know, and that's where the story was revolving around. And they had, they had a, a, a statement, and that statement was made too, that when, when people are rebuilding, they only got access to funds based off of what their property values were and not based off of what 
the um, what the cost, the actual cost to rebuild the house would be. So you still have these happy people, or people just didn't bother rebuilding because of that. You have other people who might have partially rebuilt. You had other people who um, had to take on, you know, big forms, big other forms of debt to handle uh, the rebuilding costs because those funds didn't help them out uh, as they should have. We still have violent crime in the city. We still have uh, it's consistently ranking near the top nationwide. Uh, millions of dollars in unmet obligations. Um, there are, you know. We, the money is owed to the fire department, the police department, sizes are dwindling. Uh, there's uh, the school systems uh, in the recovery school district are low ranked. Forty percent of these schools getting a D, an F, or a T, a T standing for ungraded turnaround school um, in the state's letter grade accountability system. Um, poll released Monday, 34% uh, of black New Orleanians um, make up uh, most of the city's public school enrollments. Uh, only them think that the schools have improved as compared to 55% of white students, which still is, I mean, if you're grading it on a grade, A to, a to F, 55% is a failing grade. So even if the majority, a majority of white, white parents who have their kids in schools feel that it's improved, it's still a failing grade. So you're not doing great when it comes to education either. There are many, many, many circumstances that, uh, or you could actually, you know, show that that while you know we're quote better than we were, you know, after the storm, and that we've improved since the storm, that we still have so much so much other things to do in the city, and to say that we're quote better is a bad thing to say. So, I want to bring on another guest, another uh, person, uh, Mark LaFleur, uh, author of What Fresh Hell? The Best of Levies, Not War. Uh, he's from uh, the website, is it leviesnotwar.org. So, you can, you, don't, you only hear if there's anybody who's calling in, but you can put on the headphones just in case anybody has any questions if they're calling in with them. Um, but, you know, just... Give a little introduction of yourself and let let us know what your uh, um, what your book is all about. Yeah, my name is Mark Lafleur, and I used to live in New Orleans. Uh, pretty much grew up in Baton Rouge, went to LSU, and um, after living in New York City, California, moved back to New Orleans. Lived in Mid City in the 90s, moved back to uh, New York uh, about 2001. But anyway, after Hurricane Katrina, living in New York City. I started this blog as a way I wanted to help, some way to help back home. Sure. To try to um, keep the sort of uh, from a national perspective rather than from here on, on the still damp ground of New Orleans and environs as a way to try to keep the media and uh, members of Congress, forget the White House, but to try to keep the pressure on uh, to keep the attention, the spotlight on this afflicted region, sure. and so the the blog and the book. Uh, the book is called "What Fresh Hell," which used to be the sort of the header on the blog because there was so much bad news every day. That was kind of what you felt like when you would open up the paper. You know, what fresh hell this morning? So um, the blog and the book are mainly about environment infrastructure, anti-war, 
progressive politics. Right. And also, there's a section in the book in and about New Orleans mm -hmm. with pieces on uh, Rising Tide Conference about Mardi Gras, about the Burlesque Festival. Some of it's fun. It's mainly right. a, a serious-natured book, but some of it is fun and playful. Um, and then there's a section on politics and society in the Bush, Cheney, and Obama years. Right. And then a section of interviews with Harry Shearer, who did the, the great film The Big Uneasy. Right. And then an interview with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist for the Times Picky and Mark Schlefstein, mm -hmm. who wrote um, the um, Path of Destruction. He and uh, Mark, uh, I'm sorry, John McQuaid. And then also with Ivor Van Heerden, formerly of the LSU Hurricane Center. Sure. So that's the final section of the book. But it's, um, if I can just plug it, it's only 14.95 paperback. It's available um, online. Sure. And um, you can order it through your local book, your favorite independent bookseller. Sure. As well. So we have the show's favorite one is Tubby and Coos in Mid City. We, you know, so if you definitely, if you want to ask them to get them to get you a copy of the book, I'm sure they'd be happy to acquire it they for can you. Order it for you. Sure. Yes. Yeah, and so the uh, the opening section is Hurricane Katrina and the environment. Oh, but wait, well, didn't Bobby Jindal say that we shouldn't be making this about the environment and the liberal Yeah, he agenda? did say that, and he's exactly wrong. Right. And my The latest piece on levysnotwar.org, if you want to check it out, is a piece um, basically saying, yeah. yes, it is, it is appropriate and it is good to commemorate the rebuilding and all the superhuman efforts that all the people have made to rebuild their homes, their neighborhoods, their communities, and God bless them for all the, the courage and spirit they've shown. But let's be serious, the, um, or let's be realistic, I should say, about the politicians in the Louisiana legislature, the governor, and his compliant legislature, for example, who killed the Louisiana Flood Authority lawsuit against right. the 97 oil firms. Yeah, we discussed that in the show before. And um, so your listeners know about that. That is exactly the wrong thing to do. And if this city, as John Barry wrote about a month ago in the New York Times Sunday Supplement, Sunday Review, if the, the great city of New Orleans is going to have a 400 birthday, then we really have to, that lawsuit or something like it needs to go forward, in the, or in other words, the, law for, the oil and gas firms that make so much money off of this state right. and the environs have to help much, much more right. in ameliorating their, um, in helping with coastal restoration sure. and repairing the damage that they've done since about the 1920s. Right. And yeah, I mean, because if you're doing all this rebuilding and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't have the help of dealing with all of the other issues, then, you know, next big thing goes around us all for naught. And, right. you know, and then, you know, I was talking talk about this earlier on the show, you know, 2004, I actually ran for Congress against Jindal um, for that, when he left, right after he lost the governor's race and then he moved to the district he did the best in to run for Congress. Uh -huh. Even though technically the law didn't require him to move, he could have ran from outside the district, but it probably yeah. wouldn't have played well. Um, yeah. Oh, he's not living in our district, why should we vote for him? Well, he just started living in your district two months ago. Why are you voting for him? Um, and, and one of the one of, one of the moments that stands out for me 
uh, in in the whole the only debate he ever showed up at the, the quote Alliance for Good Government, which we can debate if their if their actual name is truthful or not. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I was saying, look, I'm the only person up on this panel to be talking about coastal restoration, hurricane protection in 2004. I was like, because the next storm that hits, next big storm that hits us is going to be problematic yeah. because we haven't done enough to address this issue. Um, and and the, res- the immediate response from Bobby Jindal in that debate was, well, coastal restoration is important, but, and then he started talking about health care, which is what he was running on during that one. Well, there are a lot of people who are quote, experts on health care who could have talked about that issue in Washington, D.C. Nobody was going to go up there and talk about uh, coastal restoration and hurricane protection until we sent them up there to do just that. Yes. Well, I would say, uh, again, uh, arguing against what the governor wrote in his letter to President Obama, which really shows, as New Yorkers would say, chutzpah, yeah. um, that coastal restoration, environmental protection, that, too, is a matter of health care. Right. It it's health care for the earth. It's health care for the people. It's health care. I mean, the people who drowned could have uh, they could have used more environmental protection. Just one other point about the coastal restoration and the infrastructure repairs that have been done, which are substantial, fourteen and a half billion dollars worth. Uh, right. I think Mark Schlesting says since the storm. That is all very good and reassuring. And in Hurricane Isaac, they say. Um, it saved us from uh, much, it stood up well. Um, there was something about how it could have uh, saved us from, it could have been as bad as Hurricane Betsy. I forgot exactly what the point was. But anyway, uh, Category 5 strength hurricane flood, uh, flood protection system ain't no good if the sea level's rising and the oil and gas extraction is causing subsidence. That right. end of no more um, flooding. Uh, if we have d- coastal diversions, uh, I'm sorry, uh, diversions to replenish the yeah. soil. Yeah. And other, there is a Louisiana coastal master plan that probably most of your readers and uh, listeners know about. Uh, it's probably going to cost 50 to 100 billion dollars if it ever gets funded or started. But there are ways that the city can live endure, but it's going to take really serious work to restore as much of the buffer zone. Um, Most of your listeners probably also know that the the wetlands provide a buffer. Right. So for each, what is it, each two or three miles, it lowers, it reduces the storm surge right. by a certain significant amount. Yeah, it reduces the storm surge and it reduces the strength of the storm, but it has to cross over that land. Land will cause you to the storm to lose weight. So the more land you lose, what is a football field every 30 minutes or something like that? Something depressing yeah, like that. Yeah, very depressing like that. It, it, About 25 it, or 30 square miles a year. Yeah, you, it's, you, you, you're losing all of that. That makes every storm that hits from this point on that much more dangerous. And what was it? What was when during the, the oil, the uh, Deepwater Horizon yes. explosion, yeah. uh, one of the things that Jindal decided to do, even though this people who were scientists and engineers were saying this is not a good idea, um, he was like building 
taking stuff off of the natural reefs to try and build artificial ones to prevent right, the oil from right. coming in. Yeah. And that turned out to be, you know, A, you're killing our protection, and B, those didn't last. Right. And, 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 and again, you know, Mr., you know, when he was defending teaching creationism in public schools, uh, he basically said that Louisiana students deserve the, quote, best science. Yeah. Well, that's not the best science, either in the classroom or if you're if you're if you're not listening to your scientists and engineers who are flat out telling you you're wrong, this should not be done, and you do it anyway, you're not giving the students the best science, and you're not giving Louisiana the best science. There are two pieces in the book about Jindal. Uh, one is Mr. Jindal tear down this ambition, uh, <laughs> echoing Ronald Reagan, Mr. Jordan right. tear down this wall in Berlin, and then also Jindal from rising star to black hole after his response to Obama's State of the Union message. Oh, yeah. Um, but the for much more on the science and geology of why that, what you just referred to, was a very bad idea, uh, Len Barr, B-A-H-R, was a former advisor to Governor um, Mike... Foster. Foster. Yeah. And I think every governor since then, except for... Maybe he also advised Jindal in the early days, but maybe not. Right. Anyway, through several administrations, Len Barr, he has a very good blog called La Coast Post, all okay. one word, lacoastpost.com. Okay. And he writes a lot about the science of coastal restoration. I've written a guest piece for him on the idea of a coastal, like a coastal version of the old Civilian Conservation Corps. Right which we would love to see. Yes. But anyway, Len Barr has a very good environmental blog called lacoastpost.com. Excellent. So, yeah, definitely go check that out as well. Um, I do want to say I was very impressed. I was very happy to hear somebody say chutzpah. A lot of times down yeah. here I'll, I'll hear people trying to say uh, such words With that you know, Jewish people would say chutzpah. Yep, chutzpah. Um, yeah. What's the other one that I hear all the time? Oh, I'll remember it five seconds after you walk away. Yeah. Um, well, I live um, in New York, City, yeah, so I yeah. hear chutzpah all the time. And yeah. I, but, you know, chutzpah, if, if Bobby Jindal were not, you know, of Hindu origin, right. um, he might, um, I don't know, he's of chutzpah origin as well. Yeah, uh, he's, I'll, he I'll is horrible. Stop there. But anyway, it's been wonderful to talk with oh, you. Oh, thank you very much again. Uh, go to levies.war.org. Levies not war and make levies not war. Yes, and you can go ahead and if you go to your local books, you can either get your book online or get it at your local bookstore. Right. And I suggest Tubby and Coos. Um, and there you go. Thank you okay. very much for coming on. And if, if you ever want to come back again, you know, you have my card. Email me, and we could discuss uh, any other projects you might have. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank, Thank you, you so awesome. much. Thank you. Have a good one. Have a, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. All right, and again, you know, check out that book. Uh, I'm definitely gonna gonna try and check it out. And um, again, loveys.ward.org, Mark Lafleur. And oh, you're welcome. Uh, I think. Let's see. Let me go ahead and take another commercial break, real quick. Take a quick pause. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, if you want to call the show, it's area code three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. That is area code three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. Uh, this is Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left, that's right.
If you need legal representation or advice on issues such as family law, bankruptcy law, DWI, or other civil or criminal matters, you need hands-on legal advice from someone who will treat you as a priority and not just another number. So call the law office of Sherry I. Sandler at 504-528-9500. That's 504-528-9500. Or email sandlerlaw at cox.net. I trust Sherry with my legal needs. So should you. The preceding ad was an unpaid client endorsement. Do you like fun jewelry? Do you wish you could design jewelry that is designed just for you and that tells your story? Well, with Origami Owl, you can do just that. An Origami Owl jewelry bar is a fun way to get together with your friends, hang out, and design jewelry. There is no pressure to buy, but when you host a party, either in person or online, you have the opportunity to get deeply discounted jewelry based on what the friends you invite to the party purchase. If you would be interested in holding a party, either online or in person, go to cassiezcharms.origamiowl.com. That is C-A-S-S-I-E-Z charms.origamiowl.com and contact Cassie today. And welcome back to Liberal Band Radio. Talk to the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, if you're at Rising Tide, all you have to do is sit down right next to me and leave your comments about uh, Hurricane Katrina, your, uh, uh, you, your issues that you've had or problems or good things, too, uh, since then. Um, more than happy to let you plug your project, too, if you want. Uh, or if you're not here at Rising Tide at Xavier University up on the third floor, you can also call in at 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. Uh, you can also connect with us via Skype. And finally, if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, and concerns at liberaldan.com. Remember, you can also follow uh, me at Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash liberaldan. Uh, you can follow me, blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan as well. Uh, follow the show there, subscribe there. And you can also get the show uh, from iTunes as well. Um, and you can register and you just have it automatically download uh, if you would like to follow it that way. Um, Having some very interesting guests come in talking about their uh, other podcasts, their own blogs, or just giving their experiences with uh, dealing with charter schools. Again, as we were talking about before, um, Mark LaFleur came on, the fact that you have you know people who think that everything is going really well with New Orleans schools, but you know they've went full charter and again, never go full charter, and there are issues dealing with, this, especially when it comes to children who have special needs. Those children tend to be tend to have a system that fails them the most. They are failed by that system the most uh, because of that. So um, I don't know how you know you, you go back and fix that other than having people with the political will uh, to go ahead and do that um, immediately uh, because you have so many people currently who seem to be politically invested in making sure that it works. It's kind of like the person who's, you know, um, maybe the you know find the person that bail it, using a bucket to bail out the Titanic or something. You know, you're insisting that this has to work, I and mean, even when indicators show that it's really not working as well as you think it is, and then in many ways it's failing students to give them what they need. But you know, they keep trying to bail out the Titanic 
with a bucket of with just a small little bucket. Um, so, uh, going back to the the article from the lens, um, I don't know if I really don't know if anybody thinks actually thinks this, and they actually say, okay, fine, it's not a, it's not a widely held myth. Um, but then FEMA chief Michael Brown did a great job, and they of course to give the quote uh, from George W. Bush, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. And what was amusing was like, there was a creators of South Park had created a show on Comedy Central, Little Bush, and they actually had as a little child Bush, and he was in the uh, he was in a um, cafeteria in school, and he looks and he picks up this brownie, and he looks at it, and he takes a bite, and he's like, brownie doing a heck of a job. And maybe that brownie was good, but the brownie that we dealt with here was not. Um, the only, apparently, the only person who thinks that he might have done a good job is Michael Brown himself. Um, he said that people at the Superdome had, quote, plenty of food. If that's not, if that's not false, I don't know what is. Um, and that's pretty much all of the lens uh, has when it comes to uh, what uh, the myths that are surrounding um, a Hurricane Katrina um, but by people who should know better. Uh, one thing the lens also has is they have a they, uh, they they have a big section devoted to charter schools. Back when back when I was dealing with that initial school that my child was attending, uh, we had. Um, I was dealing very closely with a lot of the people over from the lens just because of the fact that, you know, they were covering what was going on in these charter schools and, and all these board meetings. And like, it, it, that's one of the problems with these charter schools altogether is that you have these little boards here and there, you know, for all of these schools. And in order to, for them to be accountability on those boards, you have to go cover all of those meetings, which makes it a lot harder to, you know, if you have one centralized point, like the Orleans Parish School Board, if you have one centralized board, if you want to cover what's going on, you just go to that board meeting, and that's it. You don't have to go anywhere else. Now, you have all these little tiny charter schools, each with their own little board, and if you want to see what's going on in each of those schools, you have to now go to each of those, school board, each of those charter school board meetings. And that becomes prohibitive, let alone difficult for, for anybody, but maybe the most um, entrenched you know, media outlets, maybe some of the big ones. The lens is obviously doing it, but you know, unless you have support or aid uh, from these people, um, you you can't expect that you're going to have as good transparency on the funds that are being spent. When it comes to uh, funds being spent, your tax dollars being spent, you should absolutely have transparency there, especially in something important as schooling of children. Um, and there's actually one article here, Equity Transparency Undercut by Holdouts Against One App School Admissions Process. So, uh, they're asking me a little survey thing. Uh, wow, they're making me answer 10 questions to read this content. That's crazy. Um, so I, as as I'm trying to go uh, through these, uh, oh, the ten question poll that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm almost there. I got to finish three more questions about this. 
That's, I mean, I've seen survey, I've seen websites that have questions um, that are, you know, one that are one question, maybe even two questions, but a ten question survey uh, dealing with uh, dealing with this. Uh, let's see, got two more. Uh, and let's see, now I can actually see the story. Hey, so uh, for the past nine years, um, the opinion of work diligence to ensure that all kids have access to high quality education. And you go to basically just a, a brief summary of what's going on. And one app is what you use to get into schools, to model large majority of the schools in the system. If your school is not on the one app program, you have to go deal with that school individually, which makes it much harder to get to have to deal with it. Because if you had all of the schools that you were trying to apply to, uh, if you had all of them um, who were not on the one app, you would have to have you know go to all of these different schools, apply to those different schools in person, and hope you hit one. And as opposed to the one app, where the one app actually takes everybody and puts it in their first choices. And then it dwindles away, and it automatically plugs them into the second choices. It's possible that you might have, and you, you might not get any of those choices that you when, that you do uh, that you choose for the in the one app. So it's it's not necessarily a good thing to have a school that's not on the one app, uh, even though having the one app altogether is also necessarily not a good idea. Um, the one app was designed by the RSD to make enrollment easier and more transparent. And I can see where that is uh, potentially true, but there are schools that are not um, the, for starters, he started with Kathleen Ridlinger, Lusher's chief executive officer, to ask why which tests they use for admissions intelligence assessments, or quote IQ tests. Uh, or emissions, uh, intelligence assessments are expressly prohibited by state law. One of the things we were discussing earlier, uh, some assessment manufacturers make clear that one-time results on knowledge assessment tests are also a faulty basis for a high-stakes decision. Uh, knowledge assessments simply test what a kid is supposed to taught up to that point, and a five-year-old might not have been taught reasonable things at that point. Um, so the first question was a question of her own, um, which was an illegal response to a public records request her question, why did I want to know what test was administered? Um, in a follow-up phone call, Reedlinger angrily told her that she could take her to court if she wanted to pursue a lot of inquiry, again breaking the law by not releasing the public information. Uh, in connection with this column, I followed up with a third time. Uh, she claimed to be exempt from the public records law, citing a statute that shields Louisiana Department of Education and Board of Elementary and Secondary Education for releasing assessment data. Um, but all she wanted was the name of the test, and she refused to say what that is. So this is one example of problems that we're seeing uh, in the school system um, when you have a whole system of charters that doesn't uh, work very well uh, in, in many cases to serve the needs of the students that we saw in the data that was given. Um, you know, depending on what your your socioeconomic class is, it's possible. That uh, you uh, you will probably depend on how you feel the school system is doing, you know. Because a lot of people, when they give their tests, you know, give answers to questions. You know, some people in my situation might just say, "Oh, the, the school system is good because my child is doing good." 
Um, and that's not necessarily what's being asked. So if you're asked, giving your opinion on what is being asked um, about the entirety of the school system as a whole, you shouldn't be giving just your kids and your perception based off of your kids' performance, but you should also be giving your feelings on whether or not um, you know you feel that other kids are also getting well served by uh, the school system as a whole. So if, you know, even though my kid is doing really well in the system, if somebody were to ask me how I felt the system was, was serving the people of New Orleans, I would say poorly because my kid is not the rule. I think my kid is the exception to, or an exception to that rule. And as such, my honest answer would be, no, it's not good. Other people might say other things, though, and that's probably why you're seeing such a high example. And when you have more involved parents, uh, when you have people from higher socioeconomic uh, uh, areas that are going to actually, you know, have, you know, maybe they don't need both parents working, or maybe they're only a one-income family, or maybe they have other sources of help, or other, other, you know, you know, access to other care that might, uh, you know, before before kindergarten to help these kids learn. You have all of these things. There are these, all of these things that these kids benefit from before they get to school, but they already have an advantage. They already have a quote head start. Not to say, not to, not to be talking about Head Start in particular, but they already have a Head Start in uh, the system, and they already have that uh, benefit of all of those items. Or other kids may not, and the kids who are, don't have those benefits are going to suffer in a school system that requires more parental involvement than a simple neighborhood school system, which you could, should be able to fix by simply just fixing the neighborhood school system. We have a system in, in other parishes, other counties around this city that do not have charter school systems. They have a public school system. And as one of the guests came on the show today, she did not want to live in Orleans Parish proper, uh, even though she moved here because she didn't want to have to have uh, her kids deal with the myriad of problems that exist in a full charter system. She wanted to be able to have the guarantees that come with having a fully neighborhood public school system. So that's 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 kind of my feeling on that. So let's let's switch gears a little bit uh, away from the school system. Um, back during Katrina, you had issues uh, with uh, hurricane, you know, with between the police chief and the mayor at the time, Ray Nagin, um, and they basically kind of forced, you know, Chief Compton at the time was forced out. A lot of bad things uh, were told. Uh, about Compass, and you know, people started having a very negative opinion of him, of him um, and the mayor uh, after the storm and ended with what was going on. But uh, and he and he resigned weeks after the storm, and now it's a you know a decade later, or was at least reportedly resigned. Uh, he basically said that he, ten years later he did not quit. Um, ten years ago, he was leading her the NOPD during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, fortunately, article. I'm going to tell you that I had to sort out Katrina. I was angry. I busted my butt, and I was being vilified. Things said about me were not true. Uh, talk about Ray, Mayor Ray Nagin. Uh, he says he destroyed my career, and I have to live with that. Uh, but God puts you in a place that you need to be. Um, this guy, at the age of 79, at the age of 20, he entered the police academy. Uh, he dreamed of being chief way back when, and he said. Uh, when he was at the police academy, uh, they he were asked about their aspirations, and he was the only one who stood up and said, "I want to be chief of police," which is you know pretty pretty aggressive for somebody just coming into the police academy at 20 years old. Um, it took him six years to make it from patrolman to captain, 
a position of police chief opened under the Negan, under Negan when, in that administration. Um, and he wanted him to be the number two guy, uh, but his leadership as a street cop and he was receiving job offers other places, uh, allowed him basically to say, look, I want the number one job. And he got the number one job. Unfortunately, from the first month on, uh, the mayor and him were bumping heads. So he started flooding, sort of realizing that a lot of people hadn't left their homes, uh, had to go rescue them, and that's when he realized it was serious. Well, you know, maybe you should have realized it was serious when you had a giant storm coming at you, but uh, I guess I'll just hold, hold that against him. You have um, Terry Aver, Marlon Marlon DeFillo, Jackie Clarkson, other people who are um, who they had to walk. They all had to walk up the stairs to go see Ray Nagin because he was camped out on the fourth and the floor of the highest with no elevators. Um, Compass was accused of giving conflicting information. Uh, uh, Bellinelli, uh, who was uh, David Bellinelli, the NFP. An OPD lieutenant and president of PANO, the Police Organized Association of New Orleans, was saying that Compass was giving out conflicting information. Uh, and, but the reason that is because the information he was getting was conflicting and there was bad communication. Um, the losses became personal. Um, there was an officer that committed suicide because uh, he was told um, wrongly that uh, his family had been killed and they weren't. Um, and then Compass uh, was criticized by Negan because he actually showed emotion, shed tears uh, in response to that. Um, first email he sent, uh, he said he embarrassed the city because he cried, and that's, I'll get to that part in a second too, and he looked like he was out of control and he wanted, he wanted a 30 to 60 day exit plan. Um, if he didn't, Compass said if he didn't resign, Negan would make it difficult for the men and women of the department. Which, no, this is a he said, she said thing, but I, I could potentially see the being true, especially seeing how Negan became after the storm. And um, uh, in the interview, Compass had tears in his eyes when he thought about his career. I love the police department so much. When I lost it, I lost part of me. Compass said, I'm never going to love anything like that again. So, it's, this is amazing how you know the storm when, when you're supposed to be bringing people together and instead you're 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 having power struggles when you're when your job is to help people it's it's, it's just really pathetic and, it, and it's sad that he had to go through that um, it's just it's really terrible that he had to go through that but one of the things I want to talk about is the whole crying thing because the idea that crying somehow shows weakness I remember uh, Governor Blanco uh, during uh, during the time was also seen on TV, crying is what was going on, crying about the deaths that were taking place, crying about, crying about things that were going on, you know, in the storm. And I would question anybody who wasn't crying at the time. If you don't have a heart, if you don't have, you know, the ability to, 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 to sympathize and empathize with people who you're trying to lead and trying to, you know, help bring back, you're going to do a bad job at it, in my opinion uncaring people with uncaring policies is what leads to things like re giving people aid based off of their, their assessed property values instead of what the actual cost to fix the property is going to be. That's what uncaring, that's what people who don't cry at such things give you. You don't get, you don't get 
you know, you know, people who, you know, care, you, you're not going to, people who care would have put it into policy, put in policies into place that would say, that would say when you rebuild, you're going to get what you need to rebuild, get some estimates, you know, maybe get three, require them to get three estimates from, from contractors, get the lowest, you know, maybe you give the lowest, maybe you give the average of the three, and then you go from there, and that's the amount of money that you give, and then if something runs off of going over budget, it, Maybe you help them a little bit to that too. You know, obviously with the appropriate checks and balances that come with um, that come with this, uh, the problems that are um, going on um, in this city after storm. So again, you know, people view if, if your view is type of person is doing crying as a weakness, uh, I, I take big issue with that. You need to take you need to take it as as a strength almost, as the ability to. The ability to sympathize, the ability to empathize with somebody else, uh, and, and the problems that they're going through, even if you're not necessarily going through it yourself. And so that, that's my biggest issue that I have with those who would say that uh, for those that would say that, that somebody is somehow a negative, or somebody somehow is embarrassing themselves, or embarrassing the city, or embarrassing the state. Etc. For for showing emotion, I want you to show emotion. I will repeat that until I'm blue in the face. You need to show emotion uh, when you're dealing with issues like this. I mean, you you, you have to eventually get the job done as well, obviously. But but if you if you, if you can sit there and smile and joke and laugh and and, and I'm not, not saying that smiling and joking and laughing is a bad thing during stress either. Sometimes people use that as a mechanism for coping for healing, but. If, if, if that's all you can do, and, and if you're showing that you're an uncaring individual, I don't trust that you're going to be able to fix the problem because I don't trust that you're going to be able to know what it takes to solve the problem. So that, to me, is my opinion on um, people who could cry at natural disasters, man-made disasters, anything bad that happens to other people. So... Let's go ahead and let's take another. I'm going to do the uh, the news block again since I have such a. It is. It does have Katrina related news, and um, this is my longest show that I've done. So uh, I do want to go ahead and take a, a short break. Um, but I guess let me just before that, let me just talk about the GoFundMe thing again. If if you uh, want to support the podcast, if you believe uh, that that you know what I'm doing here is a good thing, and I, I want to help grow this podcast, I want to make it. Excel. I want to be able to do this, you know, maybe more, do this more often, do other things more often, basically being able to do more live events, being able to uh, share information with everybody, being able to give good quality bits, good quality sound, good quality everything. I was more than happy to, you know, just go to GoFundMe.com slash Liberal Band. You can help out the show. One dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. What would be wonderful, even with that, you know, you don't have to get a shirt or a bump sticker, but if you do, we're more than happy. If you contribute at those levels, I'm happy to give you T-shirts and bumper stickers. I have one uh, theme, and there's a bumper sticker and a T-shirt that's, uh, you know, you know um, give America the D in 2016, and you can read that many ways, you know, either give America the D as in the Democrats, uh, give America the D, maybe liberal Dan as a D, or... It's also a play on words. If you like the play on words, you might enjoy that as well. Anyway, let's go ahead and take the first commercial break. Now, if you want to join the show, again, it's 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. Or you can uh, step up live at the open mic over here at Xavier University at Rising Tide X. From Liberal Dan Radio, 
puck from the left, that's right. of Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Ten years on from the Hurricane Katrina disaster, social justice groups are still working in the Gulf region to overcome decades of social and economic injustice. Martha Bergmark of the Mississippi Center for Justice reflects on the hurricane and the social justice struggle that occurred in its wake. Hard to really imagine, in a way, just how cataclysmic it was, and yet it was an event that really peeled back the layers on social justice problems that have plagued our region forever. In trying to recover from this terrible disaster, we had an opportunity to try to do it in a way that was more equitable, more fair to some of the hurricane's most vulnerable survivors. So 10 years later, we see a region that has recovered in many ways, I think because of the work of civil legal aid and social justice partners across the region. And yet we did not change the underlying reality that, you know, hundreds of years of uh, well-entrenched policy and practice have put in place. We still are a region that is our nation's poorest, where folks at the bottom of the ladder have the biggest struggle. Bergmark says that the civil legal aid she mentioned is critical for poor and working people if they are to get social and economic justice. If folks at the bottom of the economic spectrum can't have access to legal help, just right there along with the, all the other sort of first response kind of needs that, that have to be met, there just needs to be a recognition that uh, legal help is First and foremost, it's near the top of the list. The Bank of Labor is raising wages, joining the AFL-CIO effort to put more money in workers' pockets. The Bank of Labor says it's setting a minimum wage of $15 an hour for its employees. Bank of Labor is based in Kansas City, Kansas, and has an office in Washington, D.C. Workers there are members of the United Mine Workers. The bank and the UMWA both embraced the AFL-CIO call to raise wages. The Bank of Labor was founded and is majority-owned by the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, Iron Ship Builders, Blacksmiths, Forgers, and Helpers. Bank of Labor CEO Newton Jones says that the AFL-CIO's Raising Wages campaign benefits all workers, union and non-union alike, by setting a standard to which all employers should aspire. Through such initiatives, he says, we can help restore the middle class. Workers' Independent News is made possible in part through underwriting support from OPEIU the Office and Professional Employees International Union. If you like this labor news, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and visit us at laborradio.org. You've been listening to WIN, Workers' Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. And welcome back to Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the West, that's right. This is Dan Zimmerman from live podcasting from the Rising Tide X Conference in New Orleans, Louisiana at Xavier's campus. There's still one hour left uh, for my show uh, to happen, so you have another hour to step up to the open mic. 
uh, share your stories about uh, Katrina or uh, what you're doing in, in response to it or, or many of the things that need to be helped uh, when it comes to things like, you know, post-restoration, hurricane protection, etc. Um, talked to Mark, Mark, Mark before about his book. Again, we also, you know, before this show, I talked with Gary Rivlin uh, about Katrina uh, after the flood and his book. Uh, lots of other guests who could come on and talk about stuff. There's uh, people here from Fix Our Streets, people here from many other organizations, and um, looking forward to the keynote speech as well. That's going to be taking place at two. And of course, if you're here as well, I will be giving my course on how to podcast at 3 p.m. as well. Um, if you want to call in, if you can't make it to Rising Tide, again, the area code is 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. Or you can connect via Skype uh, on uh, at the Blog Talk Radio page. It will bring you right directly into the call screening area. Or if you're listening after the live broadcast, either if you've downloaded the show from uh, blogtalkradio.com or if you've downloaded the show, uh, if you subscribe to it on iTunes, uh, you can leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc., on the show thread at liberaldan.com. So, continuing to talk about uh, Katrina, uh, 10 years after the storm in New Orleans, and how we're faring, and how things are going on. And, and again, there's a lot of things going on today in the New Orleans area, a lot of opportunities for people to give service to their community or to come in from out of town and give service to other people's communities, which is an awesome thing to do. Uh, after today's day of service, they're actually doing a, a thing at the Smoothie King Center. Uh, some prayer, some music. Uh, President, Former President Bill Clinton will be there, and they'll be doing a second line uh, to, uh, to a another location, at which point they will have, be having a block party, uh, which should also be uh, interesting as well uh, with my knee and how my knees have been acting up. You know, it's been okay recently, but I just don't. I, I definitely don't want to push it either. Um, so I'm, I may or may not be taking part in that second line. But you know, it's definitely a good. Um, it definitely should be a, a good, interesting time uh, to see that. And again, you know, I'll, I'll stress this again. I understand that there are a lot of people who have Katrina fatigue. They really don't want to hear about her, the hurricane. They really don't want to see anything about it. And and, and there are some people who are taking the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina a little bit to the extreme. Um, there was like a picture of George Bush taking selfies with uh, Katrina kids, i.e. kids who are 10 now or maybe a little, maybe nine and a, nine months and nine years and three months. You know, basically Katrina babies. Um, and I, that just seemed weird. You know, there was somebody who did have the poster, which was like when Bush came yesterday, uh, President Bush the second uh, W. They actually had him... Um, uh, had a guy holding a sign saying, "Hey, you're 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 a week too early," because of how long it took the federal government to respond, and that's the kind of snarky thing uh, that uh, that you can actually you actually get um, from you know people here, and then you know I, I like I appreciate that I appreciate the snark I I've um, given snark myself. If you listen to the regular shows, I do a snarky look at the headlines to start most shows. Um, again, I'm, I'm I'm avoiding the bits, uh, still in the commercial breaks, just to give you know a second to take a breath, uh, stretch my legs for a second. Uh, but you know, other than that, I'm not doing any other normal bits that I do today. Um, which, by the way, if you are you know sponsored, you can sponsor those bits as well. You can um, basically 
say, hey, I want to, you know, get some advertising, and I want you to be able to say, hey, this is, uh, you know, headlines brought to you by so-and-so. And I'll do that. And then it's another way that you can support the show while, you know, getting a little bit of your own word out. So, um, and at, at Rising Tide, there's actually... Um, you have you have lots of different things going on um, at the conference, lots of different opportunities to see different things. And, and uh, people who've spoken already, again, Gary Riblin, uh, one of the guys who uh, you know, I interviewed, the author I interviewed uh, early on, he's going to be giving a speech. Uh, I think he might be giving a speech, I think, now or one. Uh, I'm checking the, the cubes in a second to see uh, what um, to see what they're doing. Well, what, what, who is speaking where? Um, we have a, a panel taking action, building a communities, or t- building a movement in our communities and beyond. Uh, open discussion with Dr. Jill Stein, uh, community organizer, physician, environmental uh, justice ad- activist, and presidential candidate. She's run. Don't know if she's running currently or not, but she has run previously under the uh, Green Party. Let's see. Um, oh, Monday, June 22nd, 2015. She is saying she is a current presidential candidate for uh, for president, presidential candidate for president, Department of Redundancy Department. Um, that she will be running as the Green Party candidate, as a Green Party candidate for the 2016 presidential race. Um, so I actually can see her. She's in a closed-off conference room giving that speech right now. Uh, so I can definitely uh, see her giving her her conversation. So maybe if she's finished before uh, I'm finished, I'll be able to bring her on for uh, for a minute or two and hopefully have a conversation uh, with her. Um, So there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff being discussed about, for example, short-term rentals in New Orleans, study on it, uh, social media and displaced New Orleanians, uh, daring to defend the poor post-Katrina. Uh, there's tech school, um, you know, 10 a.m. with video on a budget, 11 a.m. growing your brand on Instagram, 12 p.m., which is currently unraveling the Facebook algorithm uh, with Caddy Mano, who burned the street, who is actually the person who I just discussed the target schools with, and Kara, uh, I'm going to murder that last name, so I'm not even going to try. And at 3 p.m., uh, yours truly, uh, I will be giving an uh, intro to podcasting as well. Um, I guess I could have given the person my uh, Twitter handle as well. Um, so, domestic bond social services are going to train a post in New Orleans. Uh, education in New Orleans the past 10 years. I'm really sad that I'm missing this one. I mean, I'm giving my presentation at the same time as this one. If I wasn't giving my presentation at three, I would have absolutely have loved to have gone to that, just because of the fact that um, you know, since the last 10 years, New Orleans has played the blame game in education. Reformers have shamed the past uh, to argue for change. The reform has been charged with destroying public education for future children. Uh, durable arguments have kind of have Concretized into an immovable tableau. Wow, that's a. I think did Jeff write this post? That's that's a, that's a. Yeah, Jeff Jeff wrote this post. Uh, durable arguments have concretized into an immovable tableau that gets in the way of both justice and progress. That's an awesome sentence. I think that's 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 one of the best sentences I've read in a while. 
pointing fingers to say who did what to who doesn't solve problems. Progress forces us to ask, where do we go from here? I agree with that. Um, session will ask participants, uh, where should New Orleans education head in the next 10 years? Um, and Andre Perry, columnist, Amanda Aiken, principal of Crocker Elementary, Sharon Clark, principal of B.B. Wright, uh, Karen Parker Royal, a parent advocate, uh, Jamar McNeely, CEO of Inspire Network, Dana Peterson, Deputy Superintendent of the RSD, Lamont Douglas, parent and PTA member at Wilson Elementary, um, and that will begin at 3 p.m. at the UC Ballroom. So it doesn't necessarily sound like you might have a chance to, to chime in. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, I, I might be frustrated at such a thing. Um, do you want, um, Sure. Um, I want to take a quick break. Um, uh, we have a representative here from Fix My Streets. Uh, Jeff. 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 Janusic. Jeff. Janu- what is it again? Janusic. Janusic. Yeah, I, I would have murdered. Easy. I would have murdered that. So yeah, good thing you told me. One. So um, I'm actually one of the neighborhood presidents uh, in Algiers. So oh, one of you know, one of the other members. You know Eric Sanji. Yeah, then? I know Eric yeah. Sanji. Then so he's yeah. very loud. We like him. Yeah, he is a very loud vocal advocate for Fix My Streets. Yeah. I, did, I saw you before, and I was like, I want to get you, and you completely walked. Well, if I, I mean, I mean, I just missed you by a second. So, but I yeah. did want to have you on, come on the show for a Absolutely. second, um, explain, uh, fix my streets, and what, how you started, and what you're, what you're doing to help the New Orleans area. Well, it started because of uh, Robert Lupo, the developer. He lives in Lakeview, and he's he's built a lot of stuff in Lakeview and all over the city in New Orleans. And he, just like most people in New Orleans, been pretty upset about this, the condition of the streets for a long time. So right. last May 2014, he uh, just kind of had it. He printed up some yard signs that said, fix my streets, I pay my taxes, bright red, and he took them to a Lakeview Civic meeting and um, said, I've got a hundred of these signs, who wants them? And they were gone in two seconds. Right. And they started popping up, and then Bill Capo from WWL TV did a story on it, and it was launched. I, I just moved to the city, and I, I live in Lakeview, and I saw that story and said, this is awesome, these streets are terrible. I called Robert and I said, I would love to help you out with social media and your website stuff. Can, you know, I join this group and he was like yeah I guess we have a group now and that kind of started this whole movement of let's start talking about a long-term plan and all we're really doing is we have the social media side of things right and that is trying to kind of like lead this conversation and keep the conversation going and stoking that fire in the whole city of um, everybody's upset about the streets let's keep showing off these terrible conditions by social media, and then we have a group of people made up. Of, it's all volunteer-based nonprofit um, uh, of folks who are way smarter than I am that are trying to figure out what's the scope of the problem, how much is, how much is going to cost to fix the streets the right way. Right. We don't want patches. We want long-term repairs. Right. Um, how much is that going to cost? And then what funding is available? City, state, and federal funding. And then there's another group that's trying to fill in that gap between how much it's going to cost, what's out there. And how are we going to fill that in? Right. So there's these folks that are made up of all these different neighborhood leaders, Eric Sanji, you know, the West Bank and the Ninth Ward and everybody. And we're always looking for more people. We need more, more and more people. But the idea is let's put together our own plan and hopefully we can fork that over to the city one day and say, hey, we've got all these smart, awesome people who have put together this plan. And here's some guidelines for you. Here it is. And and maybe that will kind of expedite this process and get some things going. So, um, you know, we want people to, to tweet and put stuff on Facebook and use Instagram to show off those potholes and use the hashtag Fix My Streets. And then if you want to get super involved and you're really fired up about the streets, you know, come join us. Come be part of it. Come be vocal. And let's continually tell the city over and over again is, you know what, let's 
instead of putting up with it like we've done for 30, 40, 50 years, right. and potholes are part of the culture of New Orleans, which right. that's what it's become, right. we're actually now kind of tired of it, and we need you guys to address this and, and make these streets Absolutely. You know? Well, is there a website or a Twitter account, Facebook account that people could check y'all out at? Yeah, website is fixmystreetnola.com. Okay. And then our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram is just at fixmystreets with an S. And same thing with uh, Facebook. And awesome. Super active on Facebook um, and everything, really. But uh, that's the easiest way. If we could get everybody who's active on social media to just at least go outside and take a picture of their street, that would be a huge statement. So we'd love that help. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Right, I appreciate anytime. It. And if you uh, ever want to, if you have anything uh, coming up with the, uh, that you want to talk about on the podcast, anything new, any any big pushes, especially if it comes to, like, you know, events or anything, yeah. feel free to contact me, shoot me off an email, and absolutely let me know. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about uh, podcasting, too. I used to, I was on the radio for 17 years. Awesome. And, wow. And uh, I would definitely love well, to Well, I'm doing the course of three. Yeah, I, yeah. I got a, I got a, a brand new uh, baby at home, so ah. I'm relieve the wife. Well, congratulations thank, on that. Thank you very much. But we'll talk. Definitely, absolutely. Dan, nice to meet it was you. Nice man. meeting you thank as you well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate my pleasure. You. All right. Okay, and that's that. At Fix My Streets uh, on Twitter, um, you can uh, follow that as well. And you can, uh, if you live in the New Orleans area, or if you just want to, you know, if you, if you like New Orleans and you want New Orleans to have better streets whenever you visit, again, uh, give them help because they're doing some really good work. And uh, I mean, Eric Sanji is one of the neighborhood presidents over there in Algiers, and he is very passionate about these. And you can always see him and people walking in because they have these very bright, very loud, bright red. Not that loud, maybe. I mean, it's not, but it's definitely visible, solid red shirts with white lettering fixed by streets all over the chest, um, or the pocket would be, I guess. And it's definitely something that, uh, definitely a good, another good cause. Definitely something that people who are, you know, caring about Louisiana and New Orleans, you know, I mean, it used to be the joke you know, when I got here that you know there was bad, there were bad streets before Katrina. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, it was kind of the joke. Oh, well, Louisiana didn't have a drink, the drinking age of 21 until um, until I turned 21. Literally, it's like 20 days before I turned 21, the law went into effect that would uh, make that criminalize drinking under the age of 21. Um, and because of that, the Louisiana had given up a lot of funding for roads. Um, now I guess the, the, what's the excuse now? I guess is that now that if we have funding for roads because you were able to, you know, change the drinking age. Now, what's the difference? Why, why do you have so many bad roads now? Why haven't they been fixed? And after the storm, it got even worse. Um, a lot of it is, you know, the subsidence issues, obviously. But the other ones is just, you know, government who's either underfunded or, um, but, you know, again, the whole thing, we pay our taxes. People who live in these areas uh, own homes or rent. Uh, they, they shouldn't have to be having to play games of dodge, dodging, you know, huge holes, uh, getting, there are some streets in my area, in, in my, around where I live, uh, where if you're in the wrong car, you can actually bottom out your car and get stuck on top of one of the uh, lids of, for the sewers, because it's, it's that high up difference between, the, the difference is between where the lid is and where actually the, the road has subsided to, uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, and then, you know, just have other areas where, you know, the chunks of road is coming up and just, just making more and more potholes. And it, it's, it's not a very good situation uh, to deal with your car 
Uh, and again, it, when you hit these potholes, you might damage your rim, you might damage your uh, your axles, you might damage other parts of your vehicle that would cause you know your vehicle to need repair or maintenance or earlier than normal. And again, it, it's kind of like a, an additional tax on you know car owners in the city because they have to deal with those issues that the government should be dealing with, um, and it's wrong. So they're doing a very good thing and they should be supported as well um, you know not much more I can say about that I'm sure they they have more of the facts about what's going on with the uh, issues pertaining to fixing our streets um, so let's let's go back to again this, this awesome I need to read the sentence again durable arguments have concretized into an immovable tableau that gets in the way of both justice and progress um an awesome sentence. I think I have to tweet that it's scooped. <laughs> Jeffrey, because that's just that's just amazing. I love that. That's just that's just sweet. Uh, I, it's, I mean, it, it took me a second to even read it right. Um, let's just quote that. Quote that. To hashtag rising uh, X. And there you go. I'm, I'm assuming he said it because he blogged it, but that, that, that's pretty awesome. I, I, can't, I can't hate him on that one. Um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, somebody who followed me during the course of the podcast, a Twitter account, not Bobby Jindal. Um, <laughs> uh, if only I would, I would support that, not Bobby Jindal, uh, for a governor. That would be good. Because uh, that would mean we wouldn't have Bobby Jindal for a governor. Uh, who else? Is? So anyway. Um, what else is going on at the conference today uh, that you might have missed if you're not already here? Um, open primaries in Louisiana, is there a better way to do this? Are we so far behind that we're ahead? Uh, that was uh, 9 a.m. Uh, conversation, or Rising Tide is at 9 a.m. This is at 12 p.m. Again, this is another thing going on today. You have Stephanie Grace, a little promise for the advocate. Uh, Karen Carvin, Oh, I'm up again. Um, from Cedar Carter and Cedars Consulting, Brian Brogue or Brox, a professor of political science at Tulane University, and Wesley Bias III, chair of Young Democrats of New Orleans. Now, I'll give you my opinion on it on on open uh, open primaries. I, I I definitely am of the opinion that I am supportive of open primaries, and, and this is why. Um, you have you have a situation where um, you have a situation where a year we had a year where that happened where um, you didn't have an open primary you had closed primaries and as such you didn't require a simple majority to win and I don't remember what the total numbers were I don't Thing. I can look them up real quick. Um, I don't remember what they are, what they were. Um, the LA02 2010 uh, 
Okay. So we'll see, we'll see what that is in a second. But you know, I have a situation where if you don't have the open primaries, you, re, you require then uh, just a plurality to win instead of uh, just a simple majority to win. In open primary system, you can have as many people running as you want, and then if the first person gets the most votes, it's good for them. If they don't, then you run the top two. Open primaries allow you to vote your conscience. That's the main thing I like about open primaries. They allow you to vote your conscience. You can sit there and you can, this is the person I absolutely want to see win. It doesn't matter what the chance that that person has. You get to vote your conscience. You get to vote for the person you want. And if that person doesn't make it, uh, it to the runoff or doesn't win outright at the beginning, then you get to then vote the next election for the person that you think is the least harmful. Uh, unless you have somebody who's actually running through you're okay with as well, you might have multiple people who are good, and you say, okay, well, these are the multiple people, you know, I, I'd rather this one person vote for that person, but maybe the other person makes throw it off, you vote for that person next. You get to vote for your next favorite, or least, or less, not least favorite, not least favorite person. That's why I like the open primary concept. Other people may disagree, other people may think that there are advantages to having uh, party versus primaries, but we, we tried it once, uh, we had a break between, you know, having open primaries and closed primaries and open primaries again, and they went back to the open primaries. Uh, I don't, and, and one of the things that I joked, used to joke about over the whole thing is like, you know, there was two main groups of people who wanted to push for an end of the open primaries, and that was the Louisiana Democratic Party and the Louisiana Republican Party, and if they're agreeing on something election-wise, then, then maybe... You know, that's a sign that's a good thing to keep that in place. Um, anyway, uh, let me go ahead again and take another quick break, um, taking your calls as well. It's, uh, that's right, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong browser. I'm like, where's the browser? Um, anyway, let's go ahead and take another uh, quick break. Um, and I'll come back and take your calls. It's 347 838 8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. This is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. representation or advice on issues such as family law, bankruptcy law, DWI, or other civil or criminal matters, you need hands-on legal advice from someone who will treat you as a priority and not just another number. So call the law office of Sherry I. Sandler at 504-528-9500. That's 504-528-9500. Or email sandlerlaw at cox.net. I trust Sherry with my legal needs. So should you. The preceding ad was an unpaid client endorsement. Do you like fun jewelry? Do you wish you could design jewelry that is designed just for you and that tells your story? Well, with Origami Owl, you can do just that. An Origami Owl jewelry bar is a fun way to get together with your friends, hang out, and design jewelry. There is no pressure to buy, but when you host a party, either in person or online, you have the opportunity to get deeply discounted jewelry based on what the friends you invite to the party purchase. 
If you would be interested in holding a party, either online or in person, go to cassiezcharms.origamiowl.com. That is C-A-S-S-I-E-Z charms.origamiowl.com and contact Cassie today. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk to the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman from New Orleans, Louisiana. Join the conversation. It's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. Or click via the Skype button. Or if you happen to be at Rising Tide, uh, you can uh, go ahead and step up to the mic here and, and leave your comments, questions, and concerns, etc. Um, about... 35 minutes left in the show, so try and get as much things to talk about. But one of the things that they're talking about here at Rising Tide is whether or not you want to have open primaries or closed primaries. And I had the opinion or belief that open primaries are uh, something that you uh, should have. Um, in the 2008 election, I'm not seeing absolutely, I'm not seeing the the uh, party primaries in the 2008 election. I am seeing the uh, overall election results. And actually, in this case, Joseph Gow, uh, the Republican, won with 49.6% of the vote. So if that percentage of the vote that he obtained in that election was in an open primary, then he wouldn't have gotten that, he wouldn't have made a runoff, uh, he would have made a runoff with Bill Jefferson at the time. Now, unfortunately, um, you know, but it was hard to say. There's multiple problems with this issue. Is that in the 2008 election, uh, there was uh, some storm issues, I believe, that were preventing uh, the a regular election to take place. The, 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 the runoff was supposed to happen on the, on the same day as the general election. It did not, and because of which, um, because of which, you, did, you wound up having this runoff in the You only had 66,000 people voting in the runoff as opposed to uh, the general election, which had a lot more people um, showing up for Congress. And you probably search for that. Um, Louisiana Secretary of State elections, election results. And I can look that up and see actually who got those. The problem is that they, they had delayed the Orleans Parish vote for, as compared to everybody else. So in it, when everybody else was voting for president, you had much higher turnout. You had the party primaries, where everybody else's party primaries were previously. And part of the reasons they were switching to having, you know, there were some, some disadvantages uh, for Louisiana for, for having, you know, the, general, the, the basic elections, the open primary in the, in the presidential race, and then having the runoff after because those people potentially wouldn't get seated as quickly as other people, so they wouldn't necessarily be able to hit the ground running, um, which I guess might be a problem, but it still doesn't, I think, get, uh, fixing that problem, I think, creates other problems when it comes to, um, you know, being able to, again, to vote your conscience as opposed to voting for, um, vote your, um, voting, voting your, uh, conscience instead of voting your or whatever. So let's see, here's the thing. So yeah, I already said there were 66,000 votes in uh, the there were 66,000 votes overall in the in the runoff 
or in the general election, I should say, in 2008 between Joe um Bill Jefferson, Malik Rahim, and the other candidate. I forget the other candidate's name off the top of my head. Um, so let's look at the voting of the people who came out in the uh, second congressional district uh, for the Democratic Party. Um, you had 92,000 people coming to vote for uh, Bill Jefferson, and you had 70,000 people coming out to vote for Helena Moreno uh, in that second congressional district. They also did the same thing in the fourth congressional district where they had primaries. There wasn't a primary, apparently, in the Republican Party. In the Republican Party, uh, you had only Joseph Gap, and then you only Malik Rahim. So you have to bring all of those other the potential votes in of people who might have voted for him, you might, I mean, Joseph Gow in the, in the next race only got 30,000 votes. Now, you can't say that he would have only gotten 30,000 votes had it be held at the right time, but the problem is is that it, it's, it's very well possible that you might have seen um, Bill Jefferson and Helena Moreno in a runoff if you had an open primary election, and not Joseph Cow. Joseph Cow wouldn't even be the congressman, and that's such maybe everybody else would have come who voted for Helena Moreno might have then voted for, uh, you know, or who, who didn't vote for either of them might have then voted for Helena Moreno instead of Bill Jefferson, and that's such you might have been able to have a better, um, you might have had a, a D in the seat instead of, and then political landscape would have been completely different. You would have had Helena Moreno in the seat instead of potentially maybe Helena Moreno's seat. Or Bill, and Je- Bill Jefferson would have gone to jail, and then we would have had to replace him anyway. Because uh, I, I got to vote in that election, and because you know, I, I voted for Helena Moreno in the primary, uh, in, the, in the Democratic Party primary, because at the time I was still a registered Democrat. And in the general election, I could not vote for Bill Jefferson, but I wasn't going to vote for Joseph Gow either, because Joseph Gow was holding, um, was embracing his uh, Family Research Council or Louisiana folks, Louisiana Family Forum. Um, which is a subsidiary of the Family Research Council, uh, I wasn't, he would not de- reject that out of hand. And as such, um, I couldn't support his candidacy either, uh, even though a lot of people who I knew that were uh, progressive-minded people were coming in to support Joseph Gao in the runoff uh, or, in the general, or in the general election of the, that closed primary because they didn't want to vote for Bill Jefferson. And, and it caused Bill Jefferson to lose. Um, but I, you know, said voted for Malik Rahim of the Green Party because I didn't, I couldn't, he seemed to be a better choice as compared to the other two. So, I mean, that's my little view on, uh, if I was a panelist up there talking about uh, what was going on and rising with, with, uh, with this um, topic, that is what I would have um, discussed. That was the point that I would have made. Um, so, and you know, then again, there are a lot of issues uh, that are being other issues that are being discussed here. Let's. I think I went over my. Uh, no, that's that's the wrong thing. Thank you for the page that I. That I, I seem to have lost a page. That's crazy. Um, Let's open that up again. Uh, rising tide, Nola. You know, had it, I think I had it open over here. So yeah, so all the other things that are going on with rising tide. Let's see. Um, 
the history of the Tulane basketball scandal. Um, Ryan Hancock, again, that's the uh, guy, that's his topic. He talked about that earlier. Um, he returns from Memphis to talk about the Tulane basketball scandal from back in the day um, while uh, live broadcasting his podcast uh, from the Poison Street Report podcast. So, uh, again, check him out later. He also does a blog talk radio, so you should be able to uh, get him, uh, you should be able to get him, um, you know, and, and listen to his episodes as well. I think it would probably be an enjoyable thing uh, to do. Um, let's see. Talk about social media, tech school, um, domestic violence services, panel discussion, uh, education next 10 years, discuss that. Uh, primaries, um, uh, the Melanated Writers Collective presents 10 writers for 10 years. Um, different people are contributing to that one. Uh, environmental panel, are we any DAM? Say her, D-A-M. Get it? Funny joke. Haha. Um, New Orleans Black Women Creating Their Own Spaces Online and in Print. Uh, it's called She's Got Her Own. That's, that's, that was earlier today as well. Um, Gary Rivlin was at 9 a.m. Katrina after the flood. Um, panel discussion, transportation, how'd you get where you at? Discussed that on the last show. Um, and they actually had the little cubes thing that was going on. Um, and pretty much uh, there's lunch going on at uh, at one 1.30, uh, the award for the uh, um, Ashley Morris, to discuss Ashley Morris in the, last, in the previous show with Jeff. Uh, discussed his importance to the New Orleans blogosphere um, and, you know, why they, you know, named it after him. Um, and there's, after the after the DeRay McKesson uh, keynote address, there's uh, education in New Orleans, next 10 years, domestic violence services, and for the podcasting with me on the battle to save uh, the Times Picayune, and there's, quote, an unconference, um, which I'm not exactly sure what that is, probably like an unbirthday. Uh, if you're a fan of the Mad Hatter, um, saying I'm too much. <laughs> so, what else is going on to talk about? Um, you know, this is this is I guess the problem with the with a three-hour podcast is that uh, sometimes you just you could potentially run out of stuff. Um, let's see, let's see, let's give some props also to some of the people who. Uh, we're helping out uh, Upperline Financial. Uh, they uh, helped uh, contribute to underwrite Rising Tide 10. Uh, this is the first time that they've offered free admission to Rising Tide, uh, due in part to their sponsors. Uh, who else? Uh, Gambit, Uptown Messenger, Uptown Messenger, Mid City Messenger. Uh, they also offered promotional assistance. Um, and so those people should be thanked uh, for their for their help uh, for their and bringing this uh, to uh, help bringing this to fruition. Um, let me go ahead and briefly take another uh, quick time out uh, in the show. Uh, go back to do it. I guess we'll do the news block one more time. Then we'll have room for one more commercial break before the end. Um, again, if you want to join the conversation, it's very good. Three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. Haven't quite seemed yet to be able to get the chat room up and running. I don't know what the issue is with that, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be uh, going on, um, you know, very well. So that's one of your technical difficulties. Is I'm going to say in my um, 
my uh, little course that I'm giving at three. You know, when those happens, don't freak out. Don't get too overly mad. Things happen. Just roll with the punches and let it go. Um, again, so if you want to, but if you want to contact the show, call in or step up to the mic as well. Or you know, you're welcome to do so here or go to three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. That's area code three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. This is Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Production of Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Ten years on from the Hurricane Katrina disaster, social justice groups are still working in the Gulf region to overcome decades of social and economic injustice. Martha Bergmark of the Mississippi Center for Justice reflects on the hurricane and the social justice struggle that occurred in its wake. Hard to really imagine, in a way, just how cataclysmic it was, and yet it was an event that really peeled back the layers on social justice problems that have plagued our region forever. In trying to recover from this terrible disaster, we had an opportunity to try to do it in a way that was more equitable, more fair to some of the hurricane's most vulnerable survivors. So 10 years later, we see a region that has recovered in many ways, I think because of the work of civil legal aid and social justice partners across the region. And yet we did not change the underlying reality that, you know, hundreds of years of uh, well-entrenched policy and practice have put in place. We still are a region that is our nation's poorest, where folks at the bottom of the ladder have the biggest struggle. Bergmark says that the civil legal aid she mentioned is critical for poor and working people if they are to get social and economic justice. If folks at the bottom of the economic spectrum can't have access to legal help, just right there along with the, all the other sort of first response kind of needs that, that have to be met, there just needs to be a recognition that uh, legal help is first and foremost at near the top of the list. The Bank of Labor is raising wages, joining the AFL-CIO effort to put more money in workers' pockets. The Bank of Labor says it's setting a minimum wage of $15 an hour for its employees. Bank of Labor is based in Kansas City, Kansas, and has an office in Washington, D.C. Workers there are members of the United Mine Workers. The bank and the UMWA both embraced the AFL-CIO call to raise wages. The Bank of Labor was founded and is majority-owned by the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, Ironship Builders, Blacksmiths, Forgers, and Helpers. Bank of Labor CEO Newton Jones says that the AFL-CIO's Raising Wages campaign benefits all workers, union and non-union alike, by setting a standard to which all employers should aspire. Through such initiatives, he says, we can help restore the middle class. Workers' Independent News is made possible in part through underwriting support from OPEIU the Office and Professional Employees International Union. If you like this labor news, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and visit us at laborradio.org. You've been listening to WIN, Workers' Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org.
And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you live from the Rising Tide X Conference at Xavier University in New Orleans, Louisiana. To join in on the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That's area code 347 347- 838-8368, or you can uh, join us via Skype, via the link on the show page, or if you're actually at Rising Tide Nola, which I don't know why you're listening to me if you're at if you're live at Rising Tide Nola, but you can also step up to the mic and uh, and chat with me as well. We have about 20 more minutes left of the show. Um, we're going to... Uh, let's let's go, to go ahead and looking at, at Twitter feed, and you can search for uh, Katrina 10. Um, you can see... Uh, uh, some of the things that are going on. Um, there's a lot of things that are that are being discussed. You know, flashing back to what uh, happened previously. Um, uh, hurricane. You know, one of the things hurricane forecasts have become much much better since Katrina. Um, they're basically showing what uh, what the hurricane forecast would have looked like um, if it was today as opposed to before. Basically the um, Basically, what the picture is showing is, if, if you've been, lived in a hurricane area, or if you remember a lot of the hurricane coverage, you, you probably would have heard uh, these three words: "quote cone of uncertainty," uh, and that's basically showing where the uh, storm may go. Um, of course, I was looking at some of the hurricane projection models, the spaghetti maps. The other thing you're often heard of when you're watching uh, hurricane coverage of, of one of the recent storms that was kind of heading towards Florida. Uh, I think it might still be. Uh, and, and those spaghetti models were all over the place. But uh, the cone of uncertainty, uh, apparently, you know, if uh, this is 2015, this is 2005, you would you would have seen a much smaller uh, cone of uncertainty. You would see much less wiggle room as to where it could possibly be going. Uh, so it's definitely an interesting thing that technology has allowed us to better guess at, which, which I'm guessing uh, would um, would. Uh, you know, be beneficial for people trying to whether or not they should evacuate or not. Um, slight as how Kanye West's Katrina moment went down in the embassy control room, they have the video right, or in the control room. Um, I think the, the funniest part about that was just uh, Mike Myers' face. I mean, because, you know, um, it, it's one thing that probably pains you to say, but, you know, Kanye West is probably correct in that, <laughs> what he said. But just just uh, whether or not it was the perfect time or place to do it, uh, and Mike Myers's face just like I just can't believe you said that. <laughs> I think that that was just priceless, um, and lots more um, lots more uh, people blogging about you know what happened in the past, and you know there's also, there's also tweets going on about um, you know how people have. You know, moved on from that point, and are and are working towards their uh, future, um, and they're working towards uh, how to um, improve not only themselves but the uh, but the New Orleans community as a whole. There are, there are tweets about well, um, there are a lot of, a lot of tweets. Uh, Gary Rivlin retweeted one from the New York Times. Um, why New Orleans Black residents are still underwater after Katrina? Uh, one Black-owned bank. Helped. Uh, this is one of the one of the people whose uh, stories you can be found in the book. Um, Alden McDonald Jr., president and chief executive of Liberty Bank, um, is uh, you know discussed. He's basically discussing how uh, the issues in the black community in New Orleans are still uh, you know can be dire for many people uh, who are trying to deal with you know still the after effects of the storm 
And it's just one of many examples to show that why, even though, you know, things may be better for some, and, and we, we, we can put on a very nice public face, I guess, and to, to show the world what we're doing, you know, we can put together a nice thing at the Smoothie King Center. We can put together a, uh, um, you, know, you know, lay down fresh sod, move homeless people out of the way, uh, from where they're staying on the bridge, we can do all of these things to 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 put you know makeup on the city and make it look pretty for for all the media. But uh, when it all comes said and done, there are still parts of the city that are not pretty and need a lot of help. And you know that is again one of the important things as to why we need to continue to talk about this last year, this year, and for years to come is because. There, there are still people who, you know, probably might want to come back who, who are not able to because of uh, inadequate funding mechanisms and funding structures and formulas on how to give uh, uh, money back. There are people, money to people to help them rebuild. Uh, there are, there are issues dealing with, you know, schooling and and how neighborhoods are getting rebuilt and are people taking advantage of uh, impoverished citizens and trying to you know, sweep in and get their property so they could, you know, remake. Uh, the city that's not in its own image and it's an image of somebody else uh, taking away, making it lose some of its flavor and culture. One of the people you know, on Facebook basically said, you know, I'd rather be poor and have my culture than, than, than you know, be a little better, little better off and, and lose all of that uh, because you can't, you know, money can't replace certain things. You, know, you can't replace, you know, you know, what New Orleans is, you know, just by rebuilding a building, you have to you have to make sure to keep the culture, keep the flair, keep the things that makes New Orleans special. One of the things that made me want to move here half a life ago, um, you know, not just the, the the party atmosphere, but just you know the just the who and what we are. And, and a lot of the neighborhoods are going to lose that uh, if uh, some people continue to develop in the way that they're developing. Uh, uh, people will discuss gentrification. Uh, people will discuss other 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 issues facing. Uh, these areas and 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 a lot of times people just don't understand uh, why people might you know look at it and say well but aren't these neighborhoods getting better aren't they doing good and you know perhaps if if you're going to be looking at it only from one way uh, you might but again it comes down to the whole thing can you empathize can you sympathize with people can you can you take the time to not see the world from your own eyes and instead see the world from other people's eyes can you like um, you know will you if you even if you're even if you didn't lose a house or a family member during a storm. If you're elected official, are you gonna let the you know let let some sort of quote the word I hate optics uh, get in the way of, of of you showing emotion, or are you gonna you know let the people know that you care? Are you gonna let the people see that you can you can sympathize, that you can empathize with them? Are you going to uh, if you're dealing with school systems, uh, if you're dealing with uh, um, you know if your if your kid is doing well in the school system, does that mean you're going to rate the school system as doing well by by students, or are you going to try and sympathize and empathize with other people and see what the situations there might be? And again, just to restate what I said before, if you have uh, you know my kid's doing well and I only have one kid in the system, but I I know other kids who are not doing as well. I also know other kids that you know other parents that have different kids in different schools, three different schools. You know, they have to get them this there, this way and the other. Um, you know, they have to either drive them themselves or make sure that they're to the buses and the, the ability to get to those bus stops is, is is you know, can be difficult based on the timing and based on their assigned times and that's what happens when you have multiple require kids to have take part in a system. 
that, you know, is trying to be, quote, fair, but then winds up, you know, putting three different kids in elementary school, sending them to different schools. Because you can't just, you know, then it, it becomes completely unfair to those unfair to those parents. So are you going to sit there and judge the schools based off of your own circumstances and based off of your own, you know, if you happen to be doing well, or are you going to be judging the schools based off of um, how they're giving everybody? And and then same thing when it applies to how you're rebuilding the city. Uh, are you going to look at your own personal life and you're going to see, oh, well, I'm doing fine, so therefore everything is good in the city. Or are you going to take the time to empathize and look at the arguments made by other people? Are you going to, are you going to not just out of hand reject somebody who's complaining about things like gentrification or who's complaining about how a city, how an area is being redeveloped. Are you going to stop this sort of feeling that, oh, well, if it's getting redeveloped and money's going in there, it has to be good instead of taking that and looking at, well, what are you losing out on? What are you missing out on if uh, you do things this way instead of the other way? If you you know, if you if you lose all you know the shotgun houses, or if you lose all of these things that make New Orleans New Orleans, and then you rebuild it in a different way, is it still New Orleans? Or do you still have the same city? I mean, people must say, well, it's the people. Well, if the people can't come back because you can't, they they because they can't afford to rebuild because of bad funding mechanisms that are based on property values instead of. Uh, what the actual cost to rebuild is, then no, you're, you're, you're losing some of the people. You're losing the people. You're losing the culture. You're losing the heritage. You're losing everything that makes New Orleans New Orleans. You have, there are people who are coming into the city, um, you know, a lot of times who are saying, look, we, you know, we think that the music is too loud in this area, neighborhood. Well, you've moved into the neighborhood. You've moved to a city that has music. You move to a city that has things that uh, you know, have these sort of culture. You you obviously wanted to move to New Orleans because of the culture, but now you don't want the culture to be in your backyard. You don't want to be bothered by it. You want the culture, but the culture can happen over there. New Orleans culture doesn't happen just over there. New Orleans culture happens everywhere. You know, uptown streets where you normally don't see partying going on. Well, it's going to bring up a party from a second line or from a Mardi Gras parade or something like that. You can't just, you know, it's like somebody moving to St. Charles Street, St. Charles Avenue on the streetcar line and complaining that they can't get to their house at a certain time because a Mardi Gras parade is going on. Well, you moved there. You should know that a Mardi Gras parade might go on there. And you should know these things. And, and that to, to try and take it away because it's inconveniencing what you think New Orleans should be, even though you're you yourself are new uh, to the city, it, it doesn't make sense at all. It, 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 you, you, if you want to come to New Orleans to something what it was, then you really you didn't really want to. Move. You wanted to move to a city, and you wanted to you you might be seeing opportunities to take advantage of people. But that doesn't that doesn't make your actions right or fair, and it, it means it, to me it means that you're not being the type of person to, to empathize, uh, sympathize with, with with the needs of the people who were here, who were impacted by the storm, who did have you know their lives impacted in very negative ways, losing loved ones, losing their jobs, losing their homes and their properties, uh, things that things that mean items that mean a lot to them. You know, these 
you know, and and if you're coming to the city and you're trying to say that, you know, that things need to change and be different for you, then I think you might need to rethink what you're thinking because if you, you shouldn't be coming in here to turn to, to, to try and change it. You should be trying to save it. You should be trying to, you know, protect all of those things that make New Orleans great. And are there things that can be can be improved upon that aren't contributing factors to all those things that make New Orleans great? Sure. And maybe there, you know, maybe people might disagree on certain things. Well, I think this sort of thing makes New Orleans great, and other people might who have lived here for a while might might disagree with those things. But a general consensus, though, is that you know you have you know, a lot of people coming in from out of town who are who are not, you know, looking to um, revitalize New Orleans, but they're looking to revitalize what they feel New Orleans should be. And that's a big problem um, because New Orleans is such a city deep with rich heritage and culture, art, music, uh, food, uh, all sorts of amazing different places that you, things that you can do. Uh, and just, you know, the attitude of many people who are very, you know, a lot, lot of friendly people here, a lot, a lot of people that, that are deserving of, of, of having their city preserved, that, that need to have their city, um, you know, saved. And to, to, you just, you're doing not only the people who live there a disservice if you're trying to come here and, and, and change the way things are um, for what you think is progress. Uh, reminds me a lot, you know. It reminds me a lot of, of there's a ride. Um, one of my, it's my wife's favorite ride. It's the Carousel of Progress. And you have this person who's talking about you know progress and, and, and what progress means. And you know a lot of times you know you have these things that make that make the area better. But you have a lot of things that you know, just because it, it, it's quote progress, it doesn't mean that it's you know actually a good thing that it's actually being done. Now one thing that there's an example where I could probably say, that, hey, this is a good thing that's happening in New Orleans and good progress is the expansion of the streetcar lines. Those things are that's probably a good thing. Allowing more people to ride a streetcar, something that's emblematic of the city of New Orleans in and of itself, and expanding those services to allow people to either, you know, have access to the line from different parts of the city or conversely to have tourists be able to come up and take those streetcars to other areas, giving you know, new neighborhoods access to people who might not have normally have gone to those places because they weren't on convenient public access route. They weren't in areas where people wanted to go. People wanted to take a streetcar somewhere, so they go uptown, or they go on. You know, but now you can take a streetcar and you can go to Canal Street. Now you can take a streetcar and you go to some other. But now they're, and they're building even more places. To me, that is good progress. That is something that is something that is something that benefits not only the people of New Orleans, but it also benefits the people. Um, you know, it benefits the tourists that come here. It benefits the culture. It, it, it adds to the culture. It, it 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 enhances, if you will, the culture of a city because it's it's taking something that we had that was ours, and it's expanding it to become more of more of the goodness that it was, um, as opposed to trying to shut down music in the French Quarter. That's not expanding anything. That's not progress. That's that's trying to keep down something that that is the very culture of New Orleans. You you can't think New Orleans without thinking music, without thinking of, you know, sitting right here across from a picture of Louis Armstrong. You can't sit here and have 
um, you know, all sorts of different genres of music that have come out of the city, the jazz, you know, other other bands, other other types. You know, you have Preservation Hall, you have other areas where. I, can you imagine if if they're trying to tell Preservation Hall that they had to shut up? No, it's ridiculous. You know, you don't you don't move to a to an area where there's a lot of music and then ask them to stop playing their music. You move to an area that has a lot of music because you want to hear the music. It's as simple as that. And and that that's an example. I, I was that's probably the biggest example of um, where people who are trying to change it and who they might they might get some of it shut down. Those people might say, hey, we're making progress, we're making it better for people to live there. But they're not really. They're not really making it better for the people who live there to live because because they want to, um, they're actually taking away the identity of New Orleans in, in and of itself. They're taking away uh, what it means to be in New Orleans. And it's probably the only way you can say New Orleans like that and, and get away with it if, if you're kind of quoting or paraphrasing a song because it's New Orleans. But for some reason, I guess if you're singing a song and you have to rhyme it with means, you're allowed to say New Orleans. Uh, otherwise, uh, but like some of the things like, you know, there are people who are complaining and, and I don't even know if this is a, an example of a, a bad progress or not, uh, but you, you have situations like Jazz Fest. Jazz Fest, I think. I didn't bother going this year because it was just so crowded. So many tourists. And look, you know, that's a good thing for the tourism industry, obviously. It's a good thing, you know, for the for the festival organizers. But, you know, sometimes it just gets it's so crowded. And I've been to it when it's crowded and it and it and it can be miserable if you don't have especially if you don't have a spot to seat to spot to sit in. Um Well it's funny because I think I uh, wanted to go see uh, Rod. We're going to go see Rod Stewart, but we were so far back from one stage that we were actually equidistant from another stage. And so, from one stage, you have Rod Stewart singing "Tonight's the Night," and then in the other stage, you hear uh, on my left ear, I'm hearing Ludacris singing "Move, bitch, get out the way." So, it's a, it's a very interesting. You can't. Get, I don't think you can get that in any other city. Uh, it's just you know interesting thing, but it was again it was it was very packed there, and, and I think it was even more packed. I think it was Elton John came to Jazz Fest. I think it was Elton John. So again, but I don't necessarily know that that's necessarily a horrible thing in and of itself. I mean, it might be an inconvenience to people who might want a slower day, but they also have you know a local day that you can go to it. But again, you're not necessarily guaranteed being able to see a, a non-New Orleans singer. At Jazz Fest on a crowded day, you know it's not necessarily something that's hurting the culture of New Orleans in and of itself. Um, but you know there are other, and I think that's ultimately where where we have to rest here is is not just that we have, um, you know, not not just the, the money that is coming, not not just that we have to fix the schools, not just that we have to do. Um, all these, all these, fix the roads, fix the streets, fix our coastline, uh, protect the environment. There's all these other things that we have to do, and in doing all that, we do have to make sure that we do one thing: that we also make sure to preserve the culture of New Orleans, to preserve the city that we is, because we we is preserve the city that we are. Because if we do not, if if, if we rebuild it and, and quote fix it without actually keeping what makes it great, then are you really saving New Orleans? Or are you saving just a shell of a city that's not the same thing that you believe it should be or believe it was?
So that is the end of my live broadcasting from Rising Tide, New Orleans, uh, Rising Tide 10 from Xavier University in New Orleans, Louisiana. I want to thank uh, the people who are running Rising Tide for allowing me the chance to, to have this table and to, to stream live from here. Thank you, Xavier University, for internet access. I will be back Wednesday for another regular, regularly scheduled program of Liberal Band Radio. Follow me at Liberal Band Radio on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Liberal Band, um, and LiberalBand.com. Again, until next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central, this is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.